And welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, folks, I know, I know, I'm all by myself today. Unfortunately, Alex wasn't able to be here for the entire show today, but that's okay. We're going to call him in part two of this kind of three-part episode we got going for us today. Lot to talk about today here on The Kuehl Show. We got, well, technically with Alex, three guests. Later on in the show, we're going to have Tate Harris come on from The O Show talking about a lot about on. Ontario Hockey League, which that may not be a thing for a little bit, but we'll get to that. Of course, we got to thank our sponsors here on 12 Ounce Sports, mybookie.ag down there, our second string leather company down there. They got a big sale there, second string leather company. Secondstringleather.com, $75 wallets, $50, you know, bathroom bags and cheap Apple Watch bands, not cheap, but good quality on sale prices for those. Check those out. Secondstringleather.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. 12-Ounce Sports, whether you're watching us here on the YouTube or on the Facebook or on the Twitter or Zingo TV, channel 761, sign up using the code 12-Ounce. That's 12, that's 1, the number 2, the letter O, the letter Z, or Z for you improper English users. Why, Tyler, are you going so fast once again? But because, guys, you know what we do here on the Cule Show. We start hot. We start on fire. We're starting off here by talking to our first guest on today's show. He is, like me, a writer for the Hockey Riders. We've had him on before, not necessarily with the live format yet, so be nice to him in the comments when we talk to him, dear, today. He is none other than a guy living in the middle of Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa fan-based country. He's a diehard Buffalonian fan, writes for the Sabres. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Jordan DeShane. Jordan, how are you doing today, sir? Good, Tyler. Love the energy. Happy to be here. Thanks. Well, this is about, well, two cups of coffee this morning and about half a mug done right now. So we got a long ways to go before this coffee finally kicks in, and that's when it's going to get really ugly. But, Jordan, since the, the last time we talked, Jordan, it's been a while. We had Gian right at the beginning of the pandemic, it seemed like. And, you know, just how, how have things been up there? I know the coronavirus cases, they're exploding here in Michigan, but I hear they're going up up in Ontario as well. How is everything kind of going on in your neck of the woods? Yeah, in Ontario, yeah, we're definitely seeing the numbers go up. Uh, Toronto, Ottawa, those are kind of the main hotspots. Uh, thankfully, where I am, uh, kind of out the middle of nowhere, it hasn't been too bad here yet. Things have been fairly well controlled, but, uh, you know, definitely still have to take the precautions, uh, stay home when you have to, mask up to uh, do what you have to do to, to stop uh, the spread. Yeah, I know. We've, I, I work in a radio station now, and we're all wearing masks, and we, we take them off to, before we start talking because, unfortunately, it's a little muffled with those masks on. And, and as long as we sanitize everything and whatnot, it's, it's getting crazy for sure. But, of course, in going back to the last time we talked, Jordan, we talked about the – and you made it a hashtag – Unfortunately, it didn't carry as far as we thought it was going to. We said hashtag sad sabers because we were talking about how bad ownership was. The Pajulas aren't doing anything good. The team is going nowhere. The general manager is just not even trying. No one is working hard to make this team better and make it better for guys like Jack Eichel, who is your superstar. He is your guy. But now, over the past couple of months, things have started to change. They bring in Kevin Adams as the general manager, former Grand Rapids Griffin, by the way. So I'd like to think I, I know a thing or two about the gentleman. And he comes in, doesn't do a whole lot at first, tries to just kind of get a feel for everything. He's going to keep the head coach, keeps Ralph Kruger there, got to give the guy another chance. And then free agency hits. And all of a sudden, what's Buffalo going to do? And right before that, they make a big trade. 
you know, Jordan, this Buffalo team all of a sudden is looking, I'm not going to say a contender. That's a little bit of a stretch because we've seen them go hot before and go hot and cold. But this team is looking a little more legit than in years past. Yeah, you know, it's it's been an interesting few months since we spoke um, because I, I remember making the joke right after it was within a few days of uh, the, the previous podcast going up that Bottrell uh, was fired and they made a change. And um, I, I remember reading that, that Jason Bottrell had been relieved of his duties. I thought, oh, wow, there's a big change. And then immediately they announced the Kevin Adams hire, which was uh, puzzling to say the least. Uh, there wasn't any kind of search that went on. So that was a really interesting aspect uh, to see how that was going to play out. And uh, like you say, everything since then has really been really interesting. Uh, the, the Eric Stahl trade uh, to start things off, it seems like a very nice win for the Sabres. Uh, Stahl, he's going to be 36 next season, but he's continued to have uh, solid production for the Minnesota Wild. Excellent leader, carries a lot of cachet in the league, uh, very well respected, and, and the exact kind of piece that the Sabres needed. Uh, a veteran leader up the middle can provide support for Eichel up the, uh, at the center position, and uh, he can score. So it, it was the exact kind of piece that, uh, that they needed. And the price that they had to pay in Marcus Johansson, that was definitely a price they were willing to pay. Uh, Johansson was, was brought in to try and fill in in the center role when really he should have just stayed at the left wing. They tried to force him into that. It didn't work out. Uh, so when they were able to trade Johansson uh, for stall, save a million dollars or so, that was an absolute no-brainer win for the Sabres. Um, the, the sad part, of course, for the fan base, so jaded, wondering whether or not Stahl was actually going to show up, uh, for, for training camp or anything like that. And of course he's a pro he, he's, he's going to be going to be there. And so, uh, yeah, it, that, that first piece was, uh, was definitely a nice bit of news for Saber fans. And I, it's funny cause I, cause I've been doing Jordan with so much, with so little college hockey news until recently, I've been doing some writing for the Minnesota wild and like, yeah, you know what? This Minnesota team could be a playoff team again. If they just add a couple guys here in free agency and they still got guys, you know, like Ryan Suter, Parise and Eric Stahl. Cause Eric Stahl, I'm not saying he's had a full scale career rejuvenation, but since leaving New York and coming to a smaller market, a lot less pressure playing in Minnesota, I don't say he's blossomed, but he started to really get his numbers back up. And I think that's what Buffalo is missing is not just a center because you have guys like, and you had guys like Evan Rodriguez, who's no longer there. You still have Gergensons, guys that play in the bottom six who are capable of being on the ice and not being a liability, but have not been able to produce offensively. Eric Stahl gives the Sabres just that. Totally. And, and again, just the kind of name that he carries in the league and the amount of respect that he would, have in the room the assistance he can give to Eichel in terms of trying to lead this team somewhere out of the basement of the league. Uh, it's it was the perfect uh, perfect type of player to bring in. The the other thing too is um, the contract. He's only signed for one more season, so it's not a major commitment that they have to make. They've got some younger players, uh, Casey Middlestad. He's he's been spinning his wheels a little bit, trying to get used to the NHL game. He's been trying to build up his strength uh, in the AHL. Remains to be seen exactly what his future brings, but uh, when it comes to Dylan Cousins, he's a player that they're very excited about. 
he's going to, uh, in all likelihood, be deployed in a wing position uh, this season. And uh, the hope is that he can play up the middle. So having not having to force him into that position, letting him get his feet wet in the NHL on the right side, uh, rather than all the responsibility of being a center, it's perfect. Uh, being able to have stall for one season to kind of groom him and, and help Cousins along as well. Yeah, it, first of all, you guys got to remember Dylan Cousins, the first ever player from the territories up in Canada to be ever drafted in the first round. I liked him when he was in Western Hockey League. He was a short-time follower of us here on the Kula Show, but it's because we tweeted at one of his teammates spearing a guy between the legs, and he saw the video, and then he stopped following us, unfortunately. So I'd like to say that for one brief second, we were being followed by an NHLer, an active NHLer, not Zach Boychuk. Um, but I, this, you know, I because I'm looking at the moves that Kevin Adams made. You bring in a guy like Cody Eakin, you know, yeah, he wasn't putting up great numbers with Winnipeg, but he can be a guy that can play a great depth center role. You bring in Toby Reeder, who brings an experience on minimum wage. You still have Kyle Pozo, as I know he's starting to regress a little bit, but he's still there. Is there any update with Victor Olofsson? I know he's got arbitration rights for being an RFA. Is he close to a deal? Because obviously Sabres fans, they really started to like him last season. Yeah, Olsen, uh, he, he's been on the radar of Sabres fans for a few years and uh, came in last season and uh, on the power play as a hired gun, you couldn't ask for anything more. Um, at, at five on five, he kind of struggled. He was, uh, he was pretty pedestrian, wasn't able to, to get much going. But on the power play, on the, the opposite side of Eichel there with the one-timers, um, it, it, it was magic. He's up for arbitration on November the 4th. And uh, there's been different reports uh, in uh, various uh, media for Buffalo that um, it's, it's looking like probably a short-term deal, maybe something similar to what uh, Dominic Kubelik signed with the Blackhawks. And uh, it, it really looks that like that is the direction that Adams wants to take this team. There's no major commitment outside of what they already have. Um, signing everyone kind of short term, seeing how the market plays out and maintaining flexibility as much as possible. That uh, That's very important because, and that's one thing I realized this year in particular, with the exception of, you know, the Petrangelo contract, I think there were a couple others that may have been a little over four years with the flat cap, the league is experiencing. There's been a lot of short term contracts, two or three year contracts were in, in a quote unquote normal year, whatever normal used to be. I can only remember anymore. I don't remember the last time I shook a person's hand willingly, but you have to think about, you know, there, those guys would be signing these two-year contracts now would be signing four or five-year deals, you know, last year, even the year before. So you're going to see a lot of guys, and that's why you see guys like Sammy Reinhart, who signed last week, Linus Allmark, who signed yesterday. Only one-year contracts, but these guys are, I'm not saying are betting on themselves, but hey, you know, they, you know, who knows what the market will be next year. And that's what you're seeing with guys like that. And, you know, I guess let's jump with Sammy Reinhardt here. We'll get to the goaltending here in just a minute. But he's a guy that ever since coming out of Kootenay, I just keep watching him. And I'm just like, when are you going to be the Sammy Reinhardt that we saw in the WHL? The difference between him and his brother Griffin is Griffin at least got excommunicated quickly. Sammy Reinhardt's been given opportunity after opportunity. Is he finally going to step up and show that he's worth $5.2 million? Oh, I think he's, he's already there now, Tyler. Uh, he hasn't exploded in points. I know uh, with, with Kootenay, he had over 100 points. Um, he's 
I've been gradually growing each season, uh, getting up to 65 points last year. It was a 59-point pace. Um, yes, for right wingers, uh, actually, I was looking at it this morning. Uh, I dropped an article for the Hockey Writers today about uh, the outlook for Sam Reinhart. He was 14th among all right wingers in goals and points, and he's being paid as the, uh, I think it was like 109th highest paid forward. So he's been putting up good numbers. The, the value with Reinhardt isn't the explosive offense as much as it is the defense. His ability to suppress shots, to limit uh, uh, goals against, it's solid. And uh, everybody talks about how he just feeds off being on Eichel's wing. And, and of course, who doesn't? But at the same time, when you look at the numbers, Eichel has really relied on Reinhardt quite a bit too. He's a solid two-way winger. Uh, he's, he's done excellent at getting the puck off the boards, keeping it in play, getting out of the defensive zone and letting Eichel do the rest. So, I mean, seeing him at one year at uh, 5.2 million, it, it really makes a lot of sense for me. Um, the interesting part was when the team announced it on Twitter, they said to welcome back center Sam Reinhardt. And that's something the Sabres fans have been talking about for years. Since he was drafted, he was drafted to be a center. And he's never really gotten a true opportunity to play center. Right. So, of course, uh, when Ryan O'Reilly was uh, jettisoned out uh, and there's been that cavern at center behind Eichel, the the common thought was, well, let's put Reinhardt there. And for the team to announce it, it seemed... uh, like an interesting way to announce it because he's always played on the right side. Um, you know, it could have been an oversight. And I mean, if there was any team that was ever going to mess up something like that, it would probably be the Buffalo Sabres, but still it would make sense to, if they were to deploy him in that way next season, because, uh, they, they've committed so much money to the wings, uh, with Jeff Skinner, nine million, seven more years, uh, Kyle Poso, Six million over three more years, and, and Taylor Hall uh, for eight million. That if the Taylor Hall experiment works out, they could be looking at twenty-five million dollars in three wing positions. And so, if Sam Reinhardt's contract comes up and he's only able to play wing, are you really going to push it over thirty million dollars for four wing positions? Right. It makes sense to bring him in for one year, put him in the center position, and see if it works. If it works. Beautiful. You have a spine of Eichel, Reinhardt, Cousins going forward. If it doesn't, then at least you go into that next round of negotiations with your eyes wide open. Because you you do want, because first of all, right-handed centers are so important because then you can throw out a guy on the power play. Hey, let's we can put him on either side. You don't have to keep taking faceoffs from one side or even in the defensive zone. And, you know, I, I, I hark it back all the time to the Team Canada concept. Just bring in a bunch of centers and push them to the wings if you overflow. Like, that's what, they, that's what they've done. And, well, they've won a few gold medals, Jordan. I don't know if you noticed. But I, I like the way this team's starting to get built. And if you just have the maturation, like you said, of Sammy Reinhardt, and once Dylan Cousins really starts to get a lot more playing time, this team is going to get better. And I thought I had one more question. Oh, yeah, I guess the last question on contracts because – of the Kale McCarr effect and the guys like Quinn Hughes, the guys at ELCs are coming up. Rasmus Dahlin is in that conversation now for his ELC coming up after this upcoming season, Jordan. 
is do we do you uh, just out of the blue maybe just a quick thought what do you think that number could be for Rasmus Dahlin or do you think that he's gonna you have to wait and watch and play this season to determine what his worth is going to be after the season I think that he would want everyone to wait and watch what he does this season uh, I saw a report the other day that he's added I think it was 10 or 15 pounds of muscle oh. he's he's going to be a, a monster this season um, you think about it he's uh, what, when Kale McCarr, uh, what, what he's doing now, um, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's excellent, but the age difference, he's two years older than Rasmus Dahlin. And, and so Dahlin, he's going to be looking at, it, it could go one of two ways. It, uh, personally, I would love to be able to keep him on board as long as possible and pay him whatever he needs to be paid because he's going to be, uh, a defenseman with the, a potential to put up nearly a hundred points, especially with the power play, the way it's set up in all likelihood, I could see it being more of a short term deal, similar to the other ones that have been signed. Uh, the, the tricky part next season is too that Henry Yoki Haru is also up for contract. So that's kind of, I think part of the, uh, design of the roster the way that it is right now keeping as much flexibility as possible going into next year because that contract is one you have to get right because you do need that you know that young defenseman because i mean i guess the only good thing the sabers have in terms of their defense i mean in terms of contract wise is yeah you have a lot of guys that are up after this year the only guy that's over 30 is matt Irwin. He'll be a UFA after this upcoming season, but Ristolainen's 25, Miller's 20, Colin Miller's 27, Montori resigned is 26, McCabe's 27, Darlene's 20, my goodness, 21 for Yokiharu. So you have a very young defense core, and you can continue to build on that. You could keep this decor here if you can keep everyone's numbers in the right area so you can keep them. This is a defense core that you can develop over an extended period of time if you're the Buffalo Sabres, right? Yeah, um, it, it, it is for sure. I know that uh, Darlene and Yoki Hari are definitely pieces that you want to keep going forward. Uh, Jake McCabe, he's not going to give you much offensively, but defensively in a third pair role, he's great. Um, and then, of course, there's Rasmus Ristolainen, who has been the subject of trade talk for a few seasons now. And at this point, the, the disappointing part for Sabres fans is that his value has gone lower and lower. They kind of missed their opportunity. Ironically, he was uh, one of the ones that was rumored to be uh, that Shirelli was interested in, in trading for Taylor Hall years ago, and uh, the Sabres turned it down. It's, the, the problem is they still have a logjam on the right side. And so last season, they had Montour over on the left side, which did not work out all that well. Um, they, they could certainly still move Ristolainen or Colin Miller if they're not going to play him on a regular basis to try and get some more help up front or to even try and just get uh, some more cap relief going into next season. Uh, the nice thing is, though, yeah, like you mentioned, they are at a nice younger age. There's no one uh, that's uh, aging out too badly, but there's definitely still some pieces that could be moved uh, to, to help build the roster in other areas. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be... Uh, it's so intriguing to see how this is all going to play out for the Buffalo Sabres. But if they really want to make that next step, it is going to be the re- they're going to have to rely on having a number one goaltender, a certified, established, consistent number one goaltender. And that has been 
the hindrance of the Buffalo Sabres since a guy by the name of Ryan Miller. So I, I wonder, and I ask, what do you do if you're Ralph Kruger this year? Do you, you, do you platoon Linus Allmark and Hutton as you've been and just hope it works out? Or if you are Kevin Adams, you look at, I mean, yes, maybe the cream of the crop goaltending prospects are gone off free agency, or do you look somewhere else? Because you have them both right now at fairly cheap contracts. Like I said, Linus Allmark signed yesterday at 2.6. You have Hutton at 2.75 for one more year. Both UFAs at the end of the season. I mean, what do you, I mean, do you just kind of hope and pray the goaltending's there, Jordan? Or do you kind of, if you're Kevin Adams, do you look to get a goaltender? You, you absolutely have to be looking to try and do something uh, different. The, the insiders all over the league have been reporting for weeks that the Sabres were looking to update their goaltending, uh, to, sorry, to upgrade their goaltending. Um, Linus Allmark is fine as uh, kind of a, a, a backup that can step in if need be over long stretches. He's, he's fairly average. Um, I know that his numbers look to improve uh, last season, but at the same time, Ralph Kruger's system was much more friendly to the goaltenders, uh, strong defensively, not allowing as strong a chances as they had in previous seasons, but at the same time, giving up their own offense. So that's, that's the struggle is that, you know, they play stronger defensively, uh, sacrificing their own offense, and then the goalie still doesn't meet expectations, but his own numbers look better just because of the situation in front of him. That's what they have with Allmark. Um, I wrote a piece for the hockey writers a few weeks ago, uh, basically about how the goaltending needed a major overhaul. Personally, I, I would have liked to have tried to trade him and get two new goaltenders in, just get a fresh start. Obviously, that's not going to happen this year. As far as Hutton goes, I know he's well-respected in the room, He's a great teammate from everything the players say, but uh, his game just is not good enough. And last season he had uh, some trouble with his eyes. He had to get some therapy to get that figured out so he could track pucks. Um, I mean, if the Sabres want to keep them around because they're both nice guys and just hope for a bounce back, I don't think that that's a great strategy. Uh, not very confident in that. Um, what I would try and do is, is try and find a trade partner somewhere. The Arizona Coyotes, people have talked forever about how they're looking to shed some salary. See what you can do to get Darcy Kemper or Antti Ranta. Um, even uh, out of Colorado, uh, uh, Francois, the, the goaltender there, he's been rumored to be available. So there's, there's other options available through the trade market. And I definitely think that that's the route they should be going if they want to try and uh, cash in on this season. What is your take? Because I pulled for this guy since I first saw him in Sudbury, and especially in the World Junior Tournament a couple of years back, Yuko Pekalokinen. Or, no, Yuko Pekalokinen. Yes, it's Lok- I just remember it's Lokinen because I said that wrong like 10 times on the podcast during that tournament. But I... I know he has not been a consistent AHLer yet. He spent some time in the ECHL last year, started to kind of turn it around with Rochester right now playing Finland. He's got some decent numbers to start the year with TPS in in La Liga, or I I call it La Liga, but it's Liga. It's the league with the Pelicans in it. That's what I know which league it is. But is there hope with Buffalo management that he can be the next goaltender in Buffalo, or is he just kind of right now, hey, he's going to be our him and Johansson, they'll mess around in Rochester, but we need to find someone else. Is there a future that Lokanen could be the number one guy in Buffalo, or at least is that the plan for him someday? 
It seems that way. Um, it, it definitely doesn't look like they're going to rush him by any means. Um, like you say, he's over in Finland. He's hanging in there. He's doing all right. I think that the plan, once if the AHL season gets going, is for him to uh, spend time with Jonas Johansson, with Rochester, the two of them battle it out, and to try and let him see some more pro pucks. Um, he absolutely is part of the future, and uh, the Sabres are, are kind of banking on him being available, but I don't see it happening for at least a couple of years. Um, he would spend at least this season with the Americans, and I would imagine half of next season before he could really be considered uh, a legitimate uh, chance for the Sabres. Yeah, and because you do, you don't want to rush him. And there have been obviously a couple of recent goaltenders that have really stepped up quickly. You know, Carter Hart's the one that keeps coming to my mind. And people thought he got pushed into a situation too early, but that was after Ronnie Hextall had been fired by the Flyers. But it seemed to work out. I mean, they only had the top seed going into the actual playoffs this year. But I mean, he's been pretty good. And you know, I just, I, I, I just, I'm, I love to pull for those kind of guys because he played on such a bad Sudbury team, made them good, but. <laughs> Excuse me. I got that cope. No, I don't, I don't have COVID, just coughing. It's just something in my throat. I don't want everyone to panic. But the big fish that we have not talked about yet, Jordan, Taylor Hall. One year, $8 million. What is your take? Well, first off, when I saw the news, um, I got to say, I was shocked. Uh, I saw it on Twitter and I had to double check to make sure it wasn't a tweet from like Daryl Drager or Darren Dragar or something like that. But uh, no blue check mark. Like this is, this is a real thing. This is actually happening. And I just, for the first few minutes, I just kind of shook my head. I didn't, didn't understand it. Didn't see that coming at all. Um, but the more you think about it, it's, it's really a great fit for both sides. Taylor Hall, um, he had his MVP season and then things have kind of gone down from there and being traded to the coyotes last season definitely did not help. It was not a great fit. Didn't do well in the defensive system over there. And, uh, his, his numbers were hurting uh, because of that. So now, uh, he's, he's a premier player in the league and he wants to be able to find a situation where he can win, but also where he can get paid. And with the Sabres, he's got uh, Jack Eichel to skate along with. I mean, that's a great place to start. He's also very comfortable with Ralph Kruger, who uh, coached him in Edmonton. He had probably his second best season under Kruger. And, uh, I mean, Kruger, you listen to the guy talk, he could sell snow to a Buffalonian. He's, he's an excellent salesperson uh, for the team. So from that perspective, it works out really well for him. There's no risk. And with like you talked about before, the contracts being kind of up in the air and, and not like the typical free agency. We'll see what next year brings. Maybe there's uh, some more stability, some more money available, and he can get a, a higher contract then. Yeah, I, I saw but that. Sabres, deal. Oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. My bad, Jordan. I didn't mean no, to cut no, you off. Keep going. Going. I was about to say with, with, no, no, go ahead. with Taylor Hall, I saw the $8 million, and I'm like, is he worth $8 million still? I mean, that because I, I get it. He was an MVP, but shoot, so was Corey Perry. But that was, you know, a decade ago. And, you know, it's been a few years since Taylor Hall has really shown that he can still be a top player. But granted, once again, the way it fell out with the Devils, they were not a, bad, not a good team at that time. Just didn't work out with Arizona. Wasn't able to find his footing there. 
He's going to be on a line with Jack Eichel. I don't think, unless it just completely falters the first month of the season, I'm pretty sure he's going to be on his wing. And you put him with either on the other side, because Jeff Skinner can play on the right side. You could put Jeff Skinner on that side. Or you can put a guy like Kyle Pozo. You can just have Eichel just feed him pucks on the right wing side, have Taylor Hall drive in the net. He's put on a good situation where he's playing with talented players. So at this point, and I say for Taylor Hall's sake, if it doesn't work out this year, He's not going to be that top-tier talent, I don't think, anymore. This is a make-or-break year, and he's got the tools around him now to really show that he can still be a top player in this game. Absolutely. He's, he's never been able to play with a center of the quality of Jack Eichel. And so uh, for him, there's like you said, there's no excuse. It absolutely has to come together this season. And I know Sabres fans are, are absolutely hoping it does and uh, that he can be a piece that can help them to get things going to get to the playoffs and, and to start to see some positive change. Uh, the, the fit there with, with Eichel uh, would be excellent. Uh, they're both really good puck movers. They can get the puck out of the D zone. They can rush it into the zone and, uh, and the quality of chances that Eichel is able to create once they're in there. Um, you mentioned a few different options for the right wing. That might be a spot for Olafson if, if he's able to, get his five on five game going where uh, a trigger like that on that line would, would be so dangerous. Um, but it, it's, it, you're, you're right. Uh, in, in terms of the 8 million, it's, it's up there, but as a one year investment for the Sabres, it's absolutely worth it. It gives them an opportunity to, to not have to make another long-term commitment. The, uh, the commitment that they made to Eichel is a great one. One of the best contracts in the league for value based on what he gives you. The Skinner contract looked rough last year. Skinner's underlying numbers were good, but he he still his shooting percentage was the lowest it's ever been, and he was snake bitten for nine million dollars. That was a tough one to swallow last season. And the Kyle Poso contract, six million dollars for three more years. He's he's an excellent fourth liner for them, but you cannot pay that kind of money for a fourth liner. So for them to say that they're a little hesitant to make a long term commitment makes sense. Um, being able to have Hall in for one season, give it a try, see how it works. If things click and they're able to make the playoffs, beautiful. Let's work on something long-term. If it doesn't work out, you have a monster asset come the trade deadline to help bring in uh, more draft picks, prospects, whatever you might need at that time. So for both sides, I, I think that the, the move really made sense. Yeah, I, I like the idea, and I for some reason, I know it was different circumstances back then, but I keep looking at this, I'm like, man, this just seems like Chris Pronger going to Edmonton. You know, one year, give it a shot, they went to the finals with a team that we found out before and after Pronger had no business being in the Stanley Cup finals. Now, I'm not saying, Jordan, I'm not, I don't want to get your hopes up or any Buffalo fans out there, I'm not saying the Sabres are going to make the playoffs and make the finals because of Taylor Hall, but if it does work out, you know that ownership of the Pajulas, Kevin Adams, are going to give an arm and a leg to keep him there. Whether it looks bad at the seventh year of the contract or not, they will make it happen because Buffalo, I mean, the Bills are playing well right now, but Buffalo hasn't had a team to really say, this is our team and they're good for, gosh, 2007? Is that probably the best time I could say there, Jordan? Yeah, that was the last time that the Sabres were really good. They had the back-to-back uh, seasons where they, they made the conference finals, the uh, president's trophy in there. Uh, since then, I mean, they had a couple 
little playoff appearances, uh, but none in nine seasons. So you're right. It's it if he can help lead them uh, to the playoffs, he can. He, <laughs> the Pagulas will give him a blank check. What do you need to stay? And uh, and again, that's kind of part of the flexibility that the roster has. If if it's the case where we absolutely have to keep him and Reinhardt needs to be moved or, or some other uh, player needs to be moved, having that flexibility will be important. And now, obviously, for those decisions to be made comes from the front office, comes up from the top. Kevin Adams, He's yes, he's been with the organization, but he was, he's never really been in a hockey-specific role where he actually is like a hockey ops role, like a big hockey ops role. This is his first job. And yes, on paper right now, things are looking good. He's signing, he's getting the contract signed. Obviously, like I said, we got Olafson still to worry about, but that's to be foreseen in the future. But you're bringing in veteran talent. You're bringing in skilled players to play with your skilled guys like Skinner and Eichel. And maybe you know, if Reinhardt can continue to blossom into the superstar that I'm sure Buffalo wanted when they got him in the first place. Do you have faith in Kevin Adams to really take this team, not, I don't want to say to the summit, but take them in that right direction that, you know, Botterell really never did in his time in Buffalo. It's, it's really hard to, to know at this point because it's, it hasn't been like a, a linear progression with the building of this lineup. It's, it's been ups and downs and confusing pieces and just kind of all over the place um, where they, they didn't uh, retain the rights to Dominic Cahoon who was a great contributor and, and a cheap player um, who apparently wanted a little bit more than the Sabres were willing to pay. They didn't even qualify him. Let him become an unrestricted free agent. Here we are at the end of October. He still hasn't been signed, so uh, maybe the Sabres were on to something. No one else has, has signed Cahoon either. Um, and then they decide to retain Jurgensen's and give him, I think it was like a 35% raise uh, for three seasons. And so that was a little bit of a head scratcher and allow Johan Larson to walk. And then uh, when it comes to free agency, then they're bringing in uh, Toby Reader and Cody Eakin and Matt Irwin. And, and you're like, okay, I don't know, really know what this is. And then Taylor Hall is there. Okay, great. It's, it's just been a roller coaster. And so the, the big thing with uh, Kevin Adams is he talked about using analytics and wanting to use uh, the numbers more to help drive the decisions. And it, it, it remains to be seen exactly how that's going to work because Cody Eakin is not a player who has contributed positively uh, with analytics throughout his career. Um, same with, with Matt Irwin really it's never, never been a world beater and even Toby reader. Now, these players, if they're utilized properly, if they're able to be in a sheltered role and used on the penalty kill, uh, in those kind of niche areas, the players can find success. So if, if he can, you know, if he's able to build it that way, then great. The, the, the talk about analytics, if he's not willing to move Rasmus Ristolainen, then it really doesn't look like he's using the analytics very well because it's very well known that he, he is not loved in the analytics community. If, if he is not able to upgrade the goaltending, though, that's kind of where my baseline is. If he upgrades the goaltending and finds a way to get someone better in there to support Allmark this season or to lead Allmark, then I, I would have some faith. At this point, looking at the team and the way that it's built, I see it as like an 85, maybe 88 or 90 point team if everything breaks right. 
Right. Of course, that's implying in, in an 82-game season, which all signs right now are pointing to that not happening because now the league is like, well, we said January 1st, but now we don't know. It may be February. Heck, it could be March. Heck, you know, as much as we love, as much as I love to think that maybe the Atlantic Division's getting a little bit tighter, there may not be an Atlantic Division next year. It's just going to be Far East, Middle-ish East, Central Division, Pacific, and Canada, because that's just seeming like how it's going to be this season. I, I'm intrigued to see how that's all going to play out, because I thought before I heard that before Bill Foley's like, yeah, there's going to be a Canadian division this year because Bill Foley, he's so outspoken. You know what? I mean, what is your take? Obviously, like I said, you're right in the middle of Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa fans. You're being a Buffalo fan yourself. What is your idea on a Canadian division? I think it'd be cool. Um, like I say, most of my friends cheer for the, the Canadian teams and uh, we, we have a group chat. We were all talking about, uh, you know, how would every, how would all the teams finish? And of course, everyone uh, made fun of all the Sens fans, but uh, it, it would be a really neat idea because it would be constant rivalries. The issue obviously would be travel and, and how exactly we make that work. Um, because if, you know, Montreal is having to play Vancouver uh, that many times in a season, that's a ton of travel. So. I don't know. It, it would be interesting to see how it works. Maybe they, they take a, a model similar to what baseball does and uh, you, you get the team there and they play three, four games over a few days um, and then go on to the next city or, or something like that. But uh, yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting uh, idea and it's something that can build up a lot of rivalries, even with the fans. Yes. And one thing I just remembered, I can't see if I can find the article. I don't know if it came up yesterday or today, it had to do with, there it is, I found it. Um, it was from the Hockey Writers. It was written by our good buddy Tom Pepper. The That Buffalo could be a hub city for the season. Now, obviously, the NHL's not yet discussed how they're going to have the season yet. College hockey right now is starting to dive in here in the States. But the NHL hasn't determined that yet. And obviously, a bubble would be nice. Why would, I mean, Buffalo, and I remember I, re- I kept reading through the article, and it started to make sense because, you know, you have Harbor Center there in Buffalo, and you have Key Bank Arena, and there's so, or Key Bank Center, excuse me. There's so much in that area. Buffalo would not be a bad spot, Jordan, to host maybe not the entire league, but maybe one division, would it not? It would absolutely make sense. Uh, the, the infrastructure the Pagulas have put in there, it, it, it would be a great fit. And uh, I kind of thought that maybe they would be in consideration uh, when it came to the bubbles for the playoffs. Um, but for next season, yeah, when I, when I read Tom's article too and, and saw the other reports out there, you could see, yeah, it would absolutely make sense uh, being able to have the hotels right there, the practice rinks, the NHL rink, and all of the facilities that the Pagoulas have. Um, yeah, yeah, the, the Sabres could definitely give uh, the NHL something to think about there. And then we'd be back to afternoon day games, and I would just never work ever again because I, I barely was able to work last year during the playoffs. I was sitting there on my phone at work the entire time just watching games at 1 o'clock. And, man, yeah, Hockey Night in Canada will be packed on a Saturday night. We're live here from Key Bank Center. Four games, noon, 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and, and midnight here in, in the Harbor Center. That'd be I'm just saying, I'd be all for it because it'd be just hockey all the time. Oh, totally. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was such a fun run. And then once the playoffs actually got real and it was like, oh, man, what am I supposed to do at 3 p.m. today? <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of disappointing. Yeah, if we could get something similar to that again, if the players were on board, yeah, that, that would be awesome. 
I, I was it Sid Sixero that tweeted out like the NHL is no longer allowed to make an excuse to not have day games because because then like there'll be some nights like on a Monday night Jordan there'll be 13 games going on and like you can't keep up with all of them because they're all playing at seven o'clock or eight o'clock and then obviously a few of the West Coast games I'm like just move them up to four o'clock I mean heck especially this year where there's I mean, hardly any fans who cares right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. If there's if there's no fans, then just play them. Yeah, I can see it uh, under regular circumstances why they wouldn't want to do that. But with what we're facing now, yeah, do what you got to do. Yeah, no, it'll be certainly interesting. All right, last thing before I let you go here, Jordan. You did, and I said I I talked about this before we went live here on the Keel Show here on Twelve Ounce Sports. I I read the article because there's all these reverse retro sweaters coming out, and I get it. It is a it's a straight cash grab, is what it is, guys. We'll talk about it a little bit more with Alex when he comes on later on in the show. But Jordan, you wrote an article grading the history of the Buffalo Sabers jerseys over their time period. You went from day one with Gilbert Perrault and the French Connection and those royal blue to now when they're going back to the royal blue and everything in between. And I tell you, it's a very interesting piece. We'll be sure to link it down here in the description if I can remember to put it in for the recording because I, I think I forgot the last time, but I made sure I added it in later. I'm going to add it in today because it's a great article because I personally am a fan of the late 90s black Buffalo Sabre sweaters. And the, yes, it, and you put it, you mentioned it in there, Jordan, it, was, it just spelled out that it was the 90s. And then you made a, you talked about the dinner plate one or whatever, how for for you as a Sabres fan, was that a fun article to write about looking at all these sweaters, or was it bad because it brought memories of some of the games and some of the years with the different uniforms they wore? Uh, well, I mean, it was fun up until uh, the the Buff Slug years. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's such uh, a great name, they, the Buff Slug. Yeah, they've had a great uh, history in terms of uh, the colors and and the sweaters that they've worn. Uh, I mean, you know, all jokes aside, the last time they were good, they were wearing slugs. So um, I guess say what you want about them, but they they were actually good then. Um, But yeah, uh, this has has me really excited thinking about some of the reverse sweater uh, combinations that they could have. Um, and, and maybe it would be something uh, same, similar to you. When I was a kid, the Sabres were always in the black and the, and the red and white. And uh, if they could have some version of that come back, I don't know, maybe they, they have that sweater in blue and gold. I don't know. Um, the, the regular sweaters that they've released for this season, uh, going back to the royal blue and white, uh, they're, they're money. That white Sabre sweater is probably a top three sweater in the league. Yeah. And uh, those ones are going to look really nice. And if they can have something cool like that, um, yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned, cash grab, take my money. <laughs> well, because it, it's funny, like there's so many that are being released right now, and I just keep looking at them like, man, like are, anyone, is, are they actually going to wear them? Because typically with most NHL teams, yeah, they have a third sweater, but they would wear like, you know, military night, they'll wear them in warm ups when they give them away. But it seems like they're actually, they'd wear these in the games. And I, I, I loved looking at the, and I, I was thinking about, like, man, what would a reverse retro sweater have to be? Because I want my dream, like, if I'm going to get a sweater for each every team in the NHL, I'm going to get a black Hoshik, like, 98-99 sweater. Because, it's for me, that was my childhood. Dominic Hoshik was the best goaltender in the game. And his Bauer Reactor pads, the awful bucket, and the black sweater, that the black and red sweater. 
And my brother, who unfortunately wasn't here, like I said, we'll talk to him later. He said, I'm like, man, wouldn't that the one with the crossing swords be cool looking in black? And I'm like, no, don't you dare put that out evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's the thing. I, I think that they could get uh, pretty creative with it, maybe picking one of the designs and switching the colors or, 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 or something like that. Um, it, it would be interesting to see, yeah, maybe if, if they were to take the the saber with the two swords and, and go with that color scheme. I don't know. Uh, I'm interested to see though, uh, what, what they come up with. Yeah. There's, there's so much up in the air with those and I, they're saying like, Oh yeah, they're going to do some with the Leafs. And I'm like, what? Like why? No, they, they do enough of that now. And they like, someone says something about the Detroit Red Wings and I'm like, what could you do? They've had the same sweaters yeah, for reverse the red and white. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Make them more white at home. <laughs> what a crazy idea <laughs> that is. My goodness. But We'll have to wait and see what Buffalo does. And like I said, we'll talk about the rest of the teams that have already released their reverse retro sweaters, and I'll give my two cents on them, at least a couple of them. A couple of them are okay. But we are talking here with Jordan DeShane. Be sure to follow Jordan, guys, on Twitter, at jordandeshane 91 You can see the spelling on your video. If you can't, if you're listening, well, it's Jordan DeShane. It's pretty much how it's spelled. And we'll make sure we'll put a link to Jordan's profile on the Hockey Writers and the link to the, to the Sabres uniform history because it's a fun article to read. Read Jordan's stuff. Read all of our stuff at the Hockey Writers. We've got a lot of great people writing there for us at THW. Jordan, thank you once again for coming on. It was a blast. It's just like last time. Hopefully we get to talk to you soon when there's hockey going on. And hopefully Buffalo is competitive, but just not too competitive because I, I, I want the Leafs to at least win one thing before I die. Um, but we'll definitely, we'll talk to you later, Jordan. Thanks again, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Tyler. Have a good one. All right. And we'll be back with more of the Kiel show here on 12 ounce sports right after this. And welcome back to the Kiel show. Everyone here on 12 ounce sports. What a great conversation with Jordan. We had there guys. Wasn't that fun? I, I thought it was fun. I always like talking with Jordan. Remember we had him on earlier on during the pandemic when we didn't have a lot to talk about. He gave us a lot of great stuff to talk about Buffalo Sabres. Be sure to follow him once again on the Hockey Writers. I also forgot to mention, hey, guys, did I ever tell you did I ever tell you guys that we have merchandise? We have merchandise here at the Kewl Show. I'm wearing it right now. You can't see it because the big graphics in the way. Teespring.com slash store slash the dash Kewl dash show. Make sure you get your stuff and Rep the show and tell everyone what you think about us. I mean, if you're wearing it, obviously you like us. At least I think you guys like us because, well, you're, you're watching and you're listening. So, yeah, that's cool, right? Yeah, here now you can see my shirt. Look at that. TKS. It's a cool shirt. I love it. Sweater is going to be coming in soon here. But we must talk now about other articles of clothing that apparently NHL teams are looking to use. Adidas has officially gone crazy. They have gone nuts. They have decided we're just going to print out money, give it to teams, and they're going to create sweater designs. They are wonderful. Now, I can't post any of these pictures because, well, I don't own the rights of the pictures, and I haven't quite really reached out to them. But we're going to talk about them. And with that, we're going to bring in someone that may have a a thing or two, know a thing or two about sweaters because he wears them all the time here on the show. He also wears a lot of hats, too. He's the guy that's supposed to be sitting right next to me here. Ladies and gentlemen, the other guy, it's Alex. Hi, Alex. How are you doing, sir? I am doing good. Uh, staying here at the, the my my place tonight, my my studio, if you will. Your bedroom. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, that's my studio. 
What? That's, uh, because there's no phone connection. There's no phone service in the basement. Well, at least not really. How how we made it work, I have no idea how we did that. Uh, it took a long time. It took our- it took us a lot of work because I remember. <laughs> if you ever want to go back and see how how really dedicated we're to having guests on the show, go back to some of our cool podcast episodes when we were doing video, and just look us cr- look at us cram into Alex's bedroom just so we could talk to guys like Scott Powers. And I think that's where we did our first interview with Steve Dangle up there. It was just a complete and utter yeah. disaster of a setup. But no, we, we set everything up on the backs, the bottom side of a tenor drum pad. And yeah, no, it was not fun. We, we sat on like footstools. And, no bueno. No bueno. It, it was ingenuity is what it was. It, I, I still look back at that. I'm like, man, we were desperate and this was of course i mean this is when we alex when we our phone calls were not with a mixer it was when we took one of our cheap mics because we had three of them one of them and just stuck them next to the phone and we realized hey the audio quality sucks on these maybe we shouldn't do this anymore and that's when we stopped doing guests and then we did guests again and it's been great ever since right right yeah it's fun because we get to have you call in can't just do the show by myself all the time here. Of course, then again, we're, it's just, everything is crazy times right now, Alex. Crazy times. Uh, I know it. Trust me. I know it. Yeah. Cause especially, I mean, well, we, we both work at Davenport university. If you guys haven't noticed that yet, we get emails every day telling us the reports of this COVID-19 thing. It's great. It's fun. Cause we get, we're, Hey, at least we're in the know and communications there. Right. Yay! <laughs> right. Yeah, you're you're in communication slash SID getting that stuff, and then I've got you know me working for the uh, the hockey team, and I have a player that just came back the other day, no contact after having COVID. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I used your better picture this time, Alex. I didn't. Apparently, you didn't like your Davenport with your with your Gilligan's hat last time, so I used your official DU photo. Is that okay? With that, is that all right? Well, I think I think that will have to work for now, won't it? Well, because there's no other picture of you, Alex. I mean, come on. <laughs> but so let's let's talk. Well, okay. Do we want to just go right into the sweaters, or we want to talk about the news first? Let's. Uh, you know what? If we have time, because we got Tate Harris coming up here in a little over half an hour here on the Kula Show, let's get into the 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 reverse retro jerseys that Adidas and some of the NHL teams have been releasing, because we may not have time for that. Now, okay. so let's go to the one that's been confirmed that has been said, yes, it's going to happen because the next, the few others that we're going to talk about later are all designs that may happen and that are possible that are, what's the word I'm looking for here that are rumored to be released. So the first one that is for sure, Alex, it is the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers. Now let's start with the Flyers because the thing about Phillies is I'm just like, they literally, <sighs> I don't know. I don't know about this one, Alex. I, I look at it and I, because what they did was they took pretty much the nineties, late eighties design and kept the orange base for the road jerseys. And they've switched the white and black trim because on the road, they would wear white shoulders, orange body with black trim. Now they're wearing black shoulders with white trim. And I'm, I'm just like, this is a straight cash grab with this one. Like they're not even trying to really change anything with the flyer sweater. No, they're, they're not really doing that at all. But I mean, one thing that we have to like just mention to ourselves is that 
one thing that we have to really think about is that this is good for both of these teams. Um, the reason why I think, um, you know, the whole retro jerseys thing is like coming back is that it's, it's a good way to bring us excitement to teams without having to do total rebrands. Um, you saw this a few years ago with the Calgary flames um, because they were sporting the jerseys with the black C for Calgary on the front jer- on the jersey with the the red um, base coloring and stuff. And then they brought in the alternate jersey of having the retro kind of look, which they ended up switching kind of like um, Edmonton, you know, years and years before that, um, you know, other teams have done that just because there's a lot of fan bases out there, especially for the older teams, um, especially for the teams that. Uh, don't as well uh, when it comes to actual like play and getting deep into the playoffs. It's just good for fans to have something that they can cheer for, um, something they can harken back to. Yeah, and I, I I can see that, but then I'm like, just go back to those jerseys. Now I like I I joke with Calgary because I'm like Calgary, you just did what Edmonton did. You just went back to those old eighty sweaters. Remember the good old days when we used to have a you know we'd. We finished behind Edmonton, but we'd always be in the playoffs. Remember those good old days. I want the night. I want the horse one to come back, the flaming horse. That's what I need back in my life. That's well, what I-, I I don't know about that one per se. I think the only one jersey from that era that I've seen like a design from uh, would be the. Sorry, my laptop is like fritzing out over here um would be the the new york rangers one that i think was wasn't it like dl designs or something like that oh the statue of liberty yeah the statue of liberty jersey that one was was always a personal favorite of mine because i always thought it was really cool well because um, what but, they did because that i think it was 97 98 was when they instituted like those were their full-time jerseys both white and blue they because right. remember there's with gretzky wearing the white ones they ended up ditching the white one and making the blue just an alternate. And especially when they came back in 05 and 06 and 06, 07, they used those a lot before they went over to the Reebok edge jerseys. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind those, but with Phillies, it's like, they just, all right, we're just gonna change these two colors here. And you kind of see that with Pittsburgh's as well. Pittsburgh's is a mixture of their old 1960s, early seventies before they went black and yellow when they had like that teal color. It's that font but it's also the same font as what they wore in like 92, 93 when they started wearing the yellow shoulders on the, on the white sweaters and they wore this diagonal black one. It's the one that Mario Lemieux wore when he, had, when he came back from Hodgkin's disease, won the scoring championship, yada, yada. But this time right. they, make, they make it white though. I don't mind that because like it actually looks okay. It doesn't look like they were just, you know, picking at straws and didn't know what else to do like this is like hey let's just flip this and hey look it's it looks legit well now you have you have to remember here tyler a lot of these teams um a big part of going back and looking back at you know what they've done is that some, some of these teams have changed their colors uh the washington capitals for example um that's another one that we could that we're gonna i mean we can talk about right now um, the the concept that LD Concepts came out with was the old Capitals jersey with the um, soaring eagle on it, um, but instead of the black and like light, like the gold and blue. You and mean stuff, the cool ones? 
Yeah, they, they changed the colors to a red base with the red, white, and blue concept because that's their current colors. And, and let me say this before Alex, before you go on, we'll get we'll keep going with the cap sweaters here. These are from reliable. These aren't just like fan made stuff on like Reddit. This is from Russian Machine Never Breaks, which is a very reliable source. It's not like yes, it's not your sports, not your TSNs, your NBCs, what have you. But that and like we're I made sure we went to reliable sources for these for these designs so they're not just like hey you know this is what a fan thought of because there's a lot of cool ones i remember someone a leafs fan posted like it was like the 87 canada cup sweaters but it was with maple leaf blue and it said toronto on it i'm like that's cool not gonna happen that, but it's that's cool but it's not gonna happen but that, that that would be cool but um back to the capitals jerseys yeah why not see why not just Bring the bring them back. Bring the originals back. I loved those sweaters. Those were cool. Then again, like I said, it's similar with my talk with Jordan about the Buffalo black jerseys that were, you know, because that's what we grew up on when we were kids. We grew up on the lighter blue with the screaming eagle, the white ones as well. I wasn't well, wasn't too big well, on the cap, the black capital ones, like with the Capitol building on it. But I liked those when I was a kid. Well, the the that whole idea is that you're. You're not changing who you are. Um, that would, if they did that, that would be that have to be a part of a complete and whole rebrand. Um, it's a, it's a, it's the reason why for, oh god, I think it was like two years the Anaheim Ducks had their uh, their alternate jersey as um, it was basically their regular Anaheim Ducks jersey, but they had a yellow base and then they had the mighty ducks logo it was it. yeah the teal with the shoulders not the not the screaming no, 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 no. not the flying wowing we'll get to that in a second no but, not, no yeah. not that one no the one where it was just the mighty ducks logo but it had an orange background like an orange oh background. you mean recently yeah the the alternate one they wore yeah i know what you're talking yeah. about now yeah, that, not, that was it that was what we use as our for a team i was on when i had an ea sports hockey league team well, that was our sweater because we were the Mighty Ducks, but the NHL at that point, at least NHL video games, were not cool enough to release the cool eggplant sweaters and the original ones because that would have been stupid, right, Alex? <laughs> right. But, I mean, and, like, going back to your, one of your points that you made, like, a little bit ago was that, you know, why don't these teams bring them back fully? It's because sometimes you – this is for some teams. This is a really good way to test the market. I, I bring up the Calgary Flames idea – because how they did it was it was perfect. It was to a T is that they brought back this retro style jersey as an alternate. Fans really supported it. They loved, you know, having those old colors back in Calgary. And then the Flames organization said, well, we're going to have to rebrand anyways. Why don't we just make this a full thing? Which for I mean, for some teams, I mean, that's not necessarily a viable option because they don't have that kind of history. Um, within their organization for, I mean, cause the Calgary, Fl the, or excuse me, the, the Carolina hurricanes, they don't really have much of a retro ish thing that they can do other than just having a whalers Jersey, which they already do. Um, just go red. I, no, just do hard for whalers, make it red and black just to really take a dig at those new Englanders up there. And be like, ha, look at this. We're using your sweater, but our colors. Absolutely. Absolutely not. But, um, but yeah, going back to the Washington Capitals jersey, the reason why they do it is because they can bring back the old logo, the old, the older jersey that they, you know, had back when Ovechkin was there when he came into the league and just 
started lighting everything on fire, but without having to sacrifice what the organization is now. It's and it's so in the sweater that we see, it is a concept jersey, but is reported by Russian Machine never breaks. They are the idea is that they're going to bring back the Screaming Eagle, but with a modern, well, modern slash retro because these were the original colors the Washington Capitals have. So I, I like the idea of bringing back the bald eagle, but then again, once again, if I'm going to say if you're going to go retro, go retro, which is why the Anaheim Ducks jerseys, Alex, are just I. I, I, my words cannot describe how I feel about these. And this came from the, this came from bar down bar down a subdivision of TSN. Everyone's talking about it. It's from ice which was the company that released the idea for the Pittsburgh and Philadelphia sweaters. So once again, knock on wood, legit source, Alex, these sweaters that <laughs> I, I, I lo- I'm looking at it right now. And I'm just like, man, because as a kid, we thought, that's cool. It's Wild Wings burning out of the ice. It's awesome. Team, I had a car with Timu Solani wearing that poor jersey. That man had to wear that jersey against Wayne Gretzky and the Burger King logo Los Angeles Kings. Like, the 90s could not have gotten at a lower point. Yet, they're going to try to break... <laughs> the Burger King logo? Yeah, that's the one with they had like a king with a beard on like and the over the chest like where the C would be oh, and they had kings and oh, oh, it was oh, the loop de doop numbers and it looked horrendous and Wayne Gretzky was like I need to get the heck out of here. Uh yeah okay okay. Um, Ninety five was just an odd year. I think the Canucks tried a red and blackish looking thing. It just looked awful. Like everything about the ninety five season, half season lockout, everything about it was horrible. Well, here's what I'll say about it. It's the same thing with the jersey I talked about a little second ago, where it has the orange base background of it, so it's it's staying with what the current color palette is of the Ducks. Which is still bad, um, still dumb, but okay. But um, bringing in that classic uh, design. Well, let's, let's call it classic design. Personally... Classic. I'm, classic I'm, Wild Wing. I've always liked that design. Um, whenever, I mean, Boog, you remember whenever we used to play NHL hits and I played as the Ducks with Sergei Fedorov. Those were the jerseys. I, yeah. Those were the jerseys that I wore. Now that being and I said, did this, and I did the same thing. Yeah. That being said, I would personally change the color palette up to be kind of like they did with the, um, the mighty Ducks Jersey. What was it last year or the year before where it was like a, kind of a crossover between old colors and new colors. Yeah. Uh, doing something like that. But honestly, the, the ducks are one of those organizations where unless they just go back to their first jerseys, they don't have a lot of options. I, I, I just, like I said, that's one thing I say, I'll say it again. It's going back to the cool old sweaters and I found out now ready for this, Alex, this is why, the whole, or obviously the sweater just looks weird in general, but if you go back to the originals, which had like the teal that they used in the, their original jerseys, that 90, it was a 95, 96 season. So I was wrong. And it wasn't the short and lockout year. It was the year after they brought in all these weird looking jerseys. That was also the, the opening night for the ducks that year, Alex was also the unfortunate same night that you remember the video Wildwing tried to jump through the flaming hoop and fell into it and actually got lit on fire. I'm laughing now because the guy that was 
dress up as well. He was okay. But I'm like, isn't it kind of funny? They tried to do like, hey, the jerseys of him exploding and flying out of the ice. He can barely jump off a trampoline through a hoop. I'm like, ah, it's not a good start for this hockey club. <laughs> I think they they still were an awful team at that point. But I, I just remembered that like finding a little dumb trivia with Tyler there for you guys. I don't, Alex, you were not sure. even you weren't even born yet, Alex. You don't know the what? dude. <laughs> shut up! You were a you were a literal baby. <laughs> I remember I remember everything, you Alex. No, you don't no, you don't remember Diddly Squat. What you do, no. I remember being no. held by mom no, when I Steve Eiserman blasted that shot against St. Louis. I was a little over a year old and I remember it because I'm No, no, I cry honky tonk BS, okay? I'm gonna say this right now for the record on this show. I cry BS for all of the stuff where I was a year old and I remember it. No, you didn't. What you did was you watched old videos and old games. And then you're like, oh, yeah, no, I remember that. So, yeah, you remember watching it. You remember that it existed. But, heck, I could go back and I could. Oh, yes, I remember the good old days of World War One. I. I remember the Eastern Front and all that good stuff. No, I just watched documentaries. And you remembered it. It's almost like you were there. World oh, War II in color. Not, is, is that still on Netflix? World War One. Wait, I thought they did World War II in color, though, didn't they? Did they do both? Yes. Well, yes. No. Oh my goodness, Ty. They did document. They did more than they did more than documentaries on one of the wars. They did both wars. They do a lot of stuff <laughs> with documentaries, Ty. It's not just one. Just because you only know. A little bit more about one over the other does not mean that it doesn't exist. I know how one, I mean, I know more about how one started. Thank you, Dan Carlin, for that one. So the the last one that we have on the list here, Alex, at least the last one that I was able to find that was legit came from Sinbin Vegas. And I, I don't know why, and I the title of the article hurts me because it says, first look at Vegas Golden Knights reverse retro fourth jersey. And and I love the Sinbin Vegas. They do a wonderful job. You guys should follow them. They're like Russian machine never breaks, but they're for the Vegas golden Knights. They're a great way to, if you get, if you want like, you know, fun articles about Vegas golden Knights, but also in depth ones as well. But the fact they use the term reverse retro, Alex, they've been in the league for three years. Can they not say that? Can they just say they're going to add another Jersey? Well, um, this isn't this a harken back to the I want to make sure I get this correctly, so I'm looking it up real quick. Not the Las Vegas Thunder, not that. I can mm. I, I can assure you that because Las Vegas Thunder, where heck, even good old boy Curtis Joseph played there when he has contract dispute with St. Louis, he ended up that was they were they were like black and teal. I mean they were cool looking jerseys, but then again the IHL always had cool jerseys back in the nineties. The IHL had cool stuff. Then again, that was back when like the Griffins had like jerseys for every other night. Every, like, hey, they have St. Patty's Day, Valentine's Day, Christmas, Fourth. They celebrate Fourth of July just in the middle of the year because of the fact. But I, I look at this Vegas sweater, and this well, is and this is what? How many? Like a month from? Well, I the, thought. Well, hold, I thought that the that logo, the one that they usually have on their. Shoulders. Shoulders. I thought that was a uh, harken back to another, an older team. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so about 
that one. At least my my sort of hockey knowledge is not so sure on that. But because this is like a month removed, Alex, from when they now. No, hey, it's, it, it is a nor. It's a nod towards the Las Vegas Thunder. Yep. Well, okay, the lo- hold on a second. The logo. That's what it says on the thing that you that we're talking about. It's the same exact things. Vegas and Ben. Hmm. Interesting. I'm just looking at it and seeing like I'm looking at all these logos. I'm like, oh, okay. But anyways, there probably was somewhere somewhere on those shirts. I mean, they're cool. Like now now the oh the V so it's the V design, Alex. That's what's paying homage. Not the logo, the the V design on the jerseys. That's what's paying homage to Las the Las Vegas Thunder. Not the logo, the the design. Well, either either way, I don't know. I don't know what it I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So, okay, we can't, like I said, folks, I can't post any of these photos because we don't have ownership of these, and I didn't get permission to use them yet. So I apologize on that retrospect. But look them up. Like I said, sinbin.vegas. Go on there. The article's on there. It's a great piece, once again, by them. So Honestly, honestly Vegas in recent has not had a good past of releasing good jerseys. Their first two jerseys, great. Phenomenal. Never would have guessed it. Phenomenal? Phenomenal, Alex. But these past two, absolute garbage. Well, it was only a month since they did the gold ones. I'm like, all right. Like, oh, wait, we got to get on this reverse retro game, too. What's retro about it? <laughs> There's nothing retro. I made sure to take my mic away, not to scare everyone there. But At, uh, le- at least if the Seattle uh, Kraken were a part of this trend, if they were actually competing next year, oh, good at Lord. least they're... They At could have done they, the Metropolitans. I'll give you that, Alex. They could have done that. Well, where yeah, the, they could. Where the candy cane jerseys? Yep. Well, I mean, they've already uh, they already talked about it. the one guy. Forgot his name, but he did an interview where they already they already have plans in place where they're going to do a Metropolitans jersey. So count it. That's fine. I, I like they did the Vancouver Millionaires, the Canucks. They wore the the V, the maroon V, and the uh, the Heritage Classic a few years back. I'm okay with that. That I will allow. But I, I, I don't mind the idea. I just like just call it a fourth jersey. Just give it. Just call it another jersey. Just don't say reverse retro because oh yeah, because of our IHL team that lasted five years. We're gonna pay homage to them. It's like all of a sudden the Muskegon Lumberjacks come out and say we're gonna do the Muskegon Fury jerseys again. But they I mean, did. but that well, that's the thing. They could actually say because well, they actually made them look like the Muskegon Fury. This is all right. We're gonna make the V cut here, paying homage, like the V cut, at the bottom of the sweaters. I'm like, oh yes, because everyone just snaps their fingers, says that's Las Vegas Thunder right there, because that's exactly what everyone thinks when they see the jersey, not the fact that they just like added a different base color to them. Sure. At what point, Alex, does the NHL just go? Full scale Oregon Ducks here, <laughs> and just have everyone have seven different jerseys. They wear one on Wednesday, one on Tuesday, and the league has, has to comply with it. At what point do we go full? I know it's Adidas, but full Nike on these people. Um, that was, when that was they, not a, that was not a legitimate question, Alex. You don't need to answer it. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you a legitimate answer. The legitimate answer is when they decide to allow the teams to wear the jerseys that have the different themes in actual games instead of just during warmups. So like, so when they go minor league hockey is what you're saying? No, not necessarily that, but I mean like 
this past year where the Arizona Coyotes and uh, the San Jose Sharks and a couple other teams, they had their like um, Hispanic slash Latin heritage jerseys. Those were really cool. And like the some of the goalies from the teams may, had special masks made for those nights. And they didn't even make it past warmups because that's how it is. Right. That's what I was telling with Jordan. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I want to see like, you know, them use sweaters and, you know, hey, that'd be kind of cool if they wore them during the game, but they never do. And it was the one time when did Dallas want didn't Dallas wear Minnesota North Stars one time in warm ups when they were in Minnesota? And they just said, yeah, we're just going to wear warm ups because that's when everyone's at the rink watching them. Because that just makes total sense once again. See, well, here here's my whole deal about it. People say they people going full minor league. What? So many people say that as such a bad thing. And in all in all honesty, what's wrong with that? It's Have it's you, when you go overboard, you, Alex. That last you you go to you go to minor league hockey games, and I I'm gonna say this right now. As much as I loved going to the, you know, Air Canada Center and watching the Leafs play, and as much as I've enjoyed, you know, going to Joe Louis Arena and Little and Little Caesars Arena and watching the Wings play, I've had more fun at a Muskegon Lumberjacks game than both of those, because for those those two games, those when you watch it in an NHL game, as someone who doesn't watch them often. It's an awe factor. It's the fact that, holy crap, all these players that I see on TV are now in front of me. As whereas when you go to a minor league hockey game, whether it's USPHL, um, uh, you know, like AHL, even ECHL, all of these. He means USHL, not USPHL. USPHL is a completely different league, but USHL. You're right, Alex. Continue. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, my, my apologies. USHL. You go and you look at these teams, and they have fun with it. And since they're having fun with it, you have fun. So not only are you getting the entertainment value from, wow, there's Austin Matthews that I get to watch play for 60 minutes, potentially more. No, you're getting it from the fact that, oh, wow, look, that's a really cool jersey. Because I'm I'm just going to say this, Tyler. I think you would have a... You would love if the Leafs did something like the 80s, you know, Team Canada jersey, but it was Toronto. I think that would be really cool. And it would just would, make everyone else in Canada mad. <laughs> it would just piss everyone off. Toronto, they already do it. Why not just keep, just go with it? Just own it. The Toronto Maple Leafs need to accept who they are, and they need to change their entire you know, aura around their team to being like, screw the rest of Canada. We have a lot of money. <laughs> screw the rules. I have money. I'm just going to make sweaters. Like Honestly, though, on, they're the New York Rangers of Canada. Well, Alex, just, you, you know, what's really funny. Cause I just remembered this and I can't believe I didn't mention this earlier. The, the 1978 world junior tournament that was in Montreal the one that Wayne Gretzky was on. Sure. That was a Canadian team. Their jerseys, even the Canadian flag, Everything was blue with red tint. It was blue with red tint. And I just remember that. And I'm like, you're just one color removal away from looking like the Toronto Maple Leafs alternate jerseys. Now, Harold Ballard would not have spent money in those days for that because Harold Ballard was a cheap, you know what? another thing. Oh, my goodness. You know what? 
if the if the Toronto Maple Leafs want to do a reverse retro jersey, I'm saying this right now. They need to do the wartime jersey. They need to do it. Oh, the yeah, with the with the hundred stripes on the arms or whatever. No, 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 no. The wartime the wartime jerseys that Oh, the Royal the Royal Canadian Air Force jerseys, the the RCAF jerseys. The jerseys if you would shut up for a <laughs> guy second. The jerseys that was quite literally just the Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, but it had a red outline around the leaf and the letters were red. Oh, those ones gotcha. Yes, Ty. Thank you for letting me get my entire thought out. I was, I was. You, you were gonna, you were gonna get there. I know you were. It just was gonna take you a while. I know it was. I, I was it just. It wasn't gonna. It would was, take me was, a lot less time if you didn't interrupt me. I was pushing you. I was pushing you along, Alex. I was pushing you along. No, I, I that would that'd be cool. I've because there's the the photos of like Teeter Kennedy back in the day wearing them, and I don't know if. No, I think that was Turk Brada was the goaltender back in those days for the Leafs, and that, those would be. I would like to see those back. You'd only be able to wear them though with the with, I guess, the home jerseys nowadays, the blue jerseys. So that would yeah, be cool. Yeah, but I mean, but that's but that's the whole point that you would. I mean, you should only really be wearing your jersey like that if it's at home, or if you're playing at a home game. Even at, even with the case with the the Pittsburgh jersey where it's white they can still request the away team to wear their dark jerseys. Right. Because, I mean, the Canes did that when they brought out their alternate jersey that just says Canes in a diagonal. They asked, they told teams to bring their dark jerseys because that's how that works. Right. People people are a lot more flexible than you think they are. Well, Tommy Dundon's not flexible. Tommy Dundon's a psychopath, but he, he's got a lot of money, so everyone, so I'm not... No one's going to say anything to stop Tommy Dundon from his work, his lovely work. Nah, right. But I, well, what is, I mean, I think, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but obviously it's a good way to bring it up. What is a jersey that we'd like to see come back? Like one jersey that's not the Mighty Ducks, that's not, because I, I go back to like the floor. And I, I think there was also an idea for the San Jose Sharks, but it was literally just their original jersey, but you flip the black and teal. So like the original, like early nineties ones, but like, what is a Jersey we'd like to see come back and I don't say stay full time, but see more regularly from what teams have nowadays. I still think the mighty ducks go into that orange or that bronze or whatever they did when they won the cup was dumb, but Hey, they won with it. So there you go. But what is a Jersey that you'd like to see come back before we go to break here? Uh, one Jersey, actually, I think it would be one of those things kind of like the Ottawa Senators are doing this year where they're really, really going back and it's not just like an alternate jersey. No, they're like doing a complete rebrand. tilt. One thing I would like to see, it would be with the Dallas Stars going back to the Brett Hall jerseys. Well, Alex, have you seen their Iowa? I always forget you're not on Twitter. Dallas is going to, I think it's Wednesday. They are going to release what's to be believed their reverse retro Jersey. They've been tweeting about it. They've been talking about it's going to be black, but they don't know what it's going to be yet. Now, are you talking the Brett Hall, like with black, like what they, when they came up from Minnesota, like the mid nineties Dallas stars, like the black shoulders, black, black jerseys, white stripes. Are you talking about the, black and green and gold star one that they wore in the, the cup run in 99. Uh, I would like 
the the actual star one where like their home jersey was the green and it had like the black trim on the bottom where it actually had the outline of a star on it. But for the sake that I think it'd be a it would go a lot over it would go over better and it would be a lot cooler if they went if they went back with where they just moved straight from uh, Minnesota where it's the black jerseys um, where it just says stars. Well, I wonder what they're going to do because I'm looking at their old logo from the 99 year and it was a the the, the first one that was start because people forget the 99 cup year. They didn't have the white ones yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. They didn't have the white ones. They had the green. They had the dark ones, which was green and then black around the base where the star kind of cut out. But they wore their regular their old white ones. The white ones didn't come until the year after people forget that. So. That's when people like watch the series back and they they see the the Jason Woolley goal in the first game of the in the finals and they're like what kind of jerseys are they wearing? Well, that's what they wore because for some reason back then they didn't get they didn't do both jerseys at one time. They'd be like, we're just going to do one this year, see if it works, and then we're going to do both next year if it totally works. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's the a flip because talking about the Flyers, that'd be the Dallas Stars from the '90s, early 2000s, where it's the black and then green around the bottom. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, I just that, that would be one jersey I'd like to see come back. I, I love retros. My, of course, mine would be either anything Dallas, a red Florida jersey, or not a red, but like the the red, the John Van Beesbrook jerseys. I'm sorry. I like I said, I'm a huge retro guy. I love like vintageicehockey.com. I know they're not NHL, but they're old hockey stuff. I'm like, I love, I love that stuff. I love looking back at old logos, old sweaters, old designs, and think, man, that was cool. Like, I just give me a minor league hockey team, and I'll just be like, man, that was cool. Look at the seven. Like, we got here in West Michigan, we got the Kalamazoo Wings down there in Kalamazoo. How many different jersey designs have they had? And they look, they always look, I look at them like, that's cool. That's pretty neat. And see, and that's what I mean. That that's the whole, a whole part of minor league hockey is that. They have all these cool designs, and they have fun with it, and the fans can have fun with them. Yeah, it's so. not it's not just professional hockey, and it's gotta be this way and the right way. And you know what, Drew? You know what, Ty? Oh, I'm gonna go on a limb since before we go to break here, or before you go to break. I want next year to be the flash forward jersey, the, fl- the flash forward jersey, where we get to finally see. The Detroit Red Wings wear black. No. God, no. Please, no. Detroit Red Wings have worn the same two damn colors (laughs) for God knows how long. Oh, wait. I don't know. The entire freaking history of the organization. They have worn those, yes, since day one. Even when they were the Cougars, when they were the Falcons. The only color other than red and white that they have ever worn was yellow because that was for the that, Cougars jersey. No, that was the fa- that was the Falcons. Fa- the Falcons, yep. The the two years they were the Falcons. And guess what? That wasn't even a main color. It was an accent. <laughs> they were McDonald's for a couple of years before McDonald's. They were McDonald's before McDonald's was. No, that's why I said with Jordan when I talking about like, oh, reverse what would Detroit do? Nothing exactly. They would they bring back the Cougars jersey, the English D in the middle? Would would they do that? I mean, that's the only I, I, mean, I could possibly think of. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be against them 
bringing back the old logo. Like the chopped up kind of like more white, brighter. Like I know you're talking about like it have to be a little different, slightly different color. Or it's it's a different, slightly different uh, winged wheel design from the modern one. You'd have to look it up, folks, online to really see. Well, no, well, no, no, no. You just all you really have to do is just take Detroit Red Wing red and make it darker. Right. So you'd have a darker red jersey, which I'd be okay with because the red that they wear and the red that the Hurricanes wear is a very, very aggressive shade of red, and it's I an personally amazing. don't like it. It's an aggressive shade of red. An A double G R A S S I V E color of red. I spelled yeah, that. that. I spelled that right. Yep. I, yep. That's the right letters. I had to make sure. Then again, the the Detroit Red Wings have to become a good hockey team again. That way, they can put Hockey Town back on the center ice. Won't that be the day, Alex? Won't that be the day? That honestly, that that's like a, a career goal of mine. Is I want to in my life in hockey, I want to be in some position of senior staff for the Detroit Red Wings, and it's my, my, my tenure is when they bring back Hockey Town and they splat that thing right on center ice because that's where it belongs. Splat, Alex. Full splat. That's the way Alex does it. Alex, been fun chatting with you, but we got to go to break because we got one more guest to talk to today here on The Cool Show. Tate Harris coming back after the break. Alex... Well, uh, well, hopefully we see you next week here, here, right here, right next to me. We'll see. We'll see. We'll be back with more of the Kula Show, folks, right after this. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports, brought to you by our friends at mybookie.ag, second string leather company. And, of course, like I said, on 12-Ounce Sports, whether you're on the YouTube, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Zingo TV, Channel 761, use promo code 12-Ounce to sign up for that and watch us on the big screen because it's cool to see me flail my arms around maniacally during for two and a half hours and such, especially with Alex here when he comes back, hopefully, next week. So now, part three of our three-part-ish, or act three, I guess, if you will, of our three-act show here today, making his second appearance on the Kula Show. We had Jordan come on earlier. We saw him for the second time. Now, for his second time, talking about the Ontario Hockey League. He is a co-host of the O Show, talking about all the good stuff of the Ontario Hockey League. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. It is none other than Tate Harris. Tate, how are you doing today, sir? Good, good, Tyler. I just kind of asked, does your brother Alex hate me, or, or what's what's the situation there? It was weird because I was so excited because like, it it's funny because he's he was here last week and he missed the three previous episodes. Now one of them counted was our quick shift edition. He never did the Thursday shows, but it's, it's weird because like we have like, Hey, Alex, we got a cool guest coming out on Monday. Like, all right, I'm excited. Cool. Monday morning. I, I got something. I'm like, Oh, you're kidding me. Like there's so many cool guests on that we had on. Cause we, of course, like Jordan, we had you on during the, the beginning of the pandemic. And we had other guests like Rachel Anderson and a few others that he has not been able to talk to. I'm just like, you gotta be here, man. It's cool. We have all these these great people here. And Tate is over there near Windsor. Are you still in Kingsville? Did you move? You're in Kingsville, right? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I just bought a house in Kingsville too. So it's, uh, it's my first home that I bought. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm still in Kingsville. Loving it. Yeah. Cause I remember you mentioned that the last time you came on back in, oh gosh, was it, was it April or May or it was, it seems like forever ago. Uh, 
Yeah, I want to say uh, I want to say April. Yeah, but it it was a while ago, and and the the OHL was you know canceled uh, officially around then. So it was uh, yeah, it, it's been a while. No, yeah, and I, I just and it's funny because you mentioned buying a house, and of course I'm you know with my wife here, and during that time period she was full scale Zillow hunting. So and I I don't know how big I, I, is Zillow a thing in Canada there, Tate. Uh, I, I, no, it's not. Okay. Uh, it's just, we got realtor.ca is, uh, realtor site. I use. So down here we have Zillow, which is literally like, it's pretty much, it's, it's a way to go look at house. It's like a Craigslist for housing pretty much. And she'll, and she was sitting there. I'm like, Hey, Ty, look at this house. Doesn't this house look nice? This house looks cheap. And I'm just like buying house is not that easy, Tate. And I hope you can attest to for me so I can tell the wife that it's not as easy as it looks. No, it was it was a it was a process. Uh, the housing market down in uh, in Kingsville is uh, is a tough go. It's not as bad as say Toronto uh, or any other you know big cities, but uh, yeah, it's not fun getting outbid and, and you're looking at your own budget. Like you know what, maybe I'm I'm gonna move in with my parents and, and just live there the rest of my life. So it, it was definitely tough. It's a cheap option if you live with your parents, always is. Well, it's funny because you said Toronto. I'm like, wait, Toronto has houses there that people can afford? It's ludicrous. Um, yeah, it, it, it's crazy up there. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine trying to find a place on, on you know, the money I make now, that's for sure. It almost, you'd almost have to be like in like a Scarborough or a Brampton if you want to live anywhere near there on a decent budget, if that. I mean, because... Cause we stayed in like Brampton, like when we go to Toronto, we stayed in Brampton a couple times. Cause I had a couple of trouts with the, with the beast at there. But I'm like, we've talked to people around the area. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, you can see the CN tower from the highway when you get away from Powerade arena, whatever it's called there in Brampton. So it's not like it's yeah. miles away, but it's, it's still quite a hike. So like living there would still be driving. Well, in Toronto traffic an hour and a half to get there. Cause the 401's a disaster. Welcome to yeah, it, welcome to Canadian life with Tate Harris and Tyler Kuehl. Um, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough up there, and uh, that's why I like living here because well, I'm sure you know you've been to Detroit a lot of times. Yep, but luckily winter, yep. on our side, we it's so small over here, but we have access to uh, you know four major sports. We have all the big city things, all the concerts. It's literally there's a bus that takes you over the uh, through the tunnel, and, and you're there. I mean, not now. Yeah, no. Well, well I mean, <laughs> and Windsor's got some good stuff too. I mean, of course they have the spits, they yeah. got spit fires there and there's a lot of stuff to do. Cause I've traveled into Windsor before and it's, it's not now. Yes, it's not Detroit, but it's still nice. And they got a couple of good casinos there. Not that I've been to any of those, but regardless, um, I mean, <laughs> I, I asked Jordan cause Jordan lives up, uh, kind of lives up near Ottawa in that area, kind of like you in a little bit of a smaller town. How have things in your neck of the woods been with this whole coronavirus? Obviously we'll talk how it's affecting hockey here in a little bit, but how have you been able to adapt in this time as it's starting to, obviously we're seeing that second wave come through. How have you been doing there in Kingsville area? Uh, well, it, you know, fun thing when, when Ontario was going through their phases, uh, where I lived, uh, Kingsville, Leamington, like two towns beside each other. Uh, we were the last towns in Canada to uh, to open up because we it's a lot of greenhouses, and we have the uh, the migrant workers who who come over, and there's uh, there's a lot of outbreaks there. So, so we were the last so to open up. I think uh, we had restaurants 
uh, in you know late July. I think this when we started being, like to go on you know on the patios and everything. Right. Uh, so so it's been tough, but uh, it, it's been pretty good now because we we've had the mandatory mask rules and you know all those fun things uh, um, to keep us safe. So it, it, it's been pretty good as of late. Yeah, that's always a good thing. At least, you know, the light's at the end of the tunnel. It may be miles away, but it's there. So now yeah. let's get to let's get to the hockey talk here. Obviously, we'll talk about, you know, the return to play in a second. So this will part will have to do with coronavirus, folks, which, by the way, does exist for some people that call into my radio station and tell me that it doesn't exist. You're all wrong. But the Ontario <laughs> Hockey League this year, we're going to start off with the draft here, Tate, because obviously it's been almost a month now, even though it seemed like it was only yesterday at this point. The OHL draft, the OHL in this year's NHL draft. And I, I remember I was when I did my preview show, I said to myself, like, man, there's a lot of really good quality prospects this year. I mean, and then they end up getting five and five OHLers get drafted in the top ten of the draft. You have Quentin Byfield obviously going number uh, number two, Jamie Drysdale, Jack Quinn, Marco Rossi, who just signed his contract, Colt Perfetti going to the Winnipeg Jets. Seven in the first round in total, a little bit of a die off there in the second half of the opening round, Tyson Forster and Jacob Perot. Tate, why is there this? Is it just a perfect year for prospects, or was there a, a method to the madness of the OHL's dominance, at least at the top of the draft board this year? I, I think it's just it was just the draft class. You know, you look in other years where there's not a lot of OHL players. I think it was last year was, uh, it was dominated by the, uh, the development program um, over there in Plymouth. So it just, it was just, the OHL's draft year. You look back, Connor McDavid's draft is a uh, similar thing. You had the Mitch Marners and Dylan Strom. So, yeah, a lot of great players. Um, you know, Marco Rossi is one of those guys that, uh, like, we had Scott Wheeler on, and uh, Will Scouts has talked in the past about two, uh, you know, online scouts who have said that guy could have went, you know, third overall, maybe even pushed for for first overall. They just uh, weren't ready to publicly say that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's it's crazy to see someone like that go at nine and have uh, Jack Quinn is kind of a uh, he's a mystery. He's a debate online for the uh, the OHL community. Uh, so it's surprising to see Buffalo take him before uh, Rossi and, and Perfetti. But yeah, they're all great players. They they all have their upside. And Byfield obviously having the uh, the highest ceiling and making sure that that's why he went number two. Did, and uh, it's funny because I was so I, I don't know what it was, but I just thought, man, if he could, if he if L.A. went with Tim Stutzel, which was my pick, I thought Stutzel was going to go number two and then Byfield would have fallen to Ottawa. I just was looking at that. I'm like, that's like a perfect fit for a guy like Quentin Byfield. A, it's still I mean, I, I mean, Sudbury and Ottawa, I know, are not neighbors by any stretch, but you're still in the same province, your state, your home province. And a guy that could be a marketable figure, Tim Stutzel is too. I mean, I'm not going to say that he's not a great player. He maybe turned yeah. out to maybe be the next Leon Dreisaitl, the, the next great German star coming out of that program over there in the DEL. But what made Byfield, I know we talked about this with you, what made Byfield this, you know, this can't-miss prospect? It looks like size, it looks like skill, it looks like speed, it looks like the whole shebang. That's why Byfield went number two in this year's draft. Yeah, you, you said it. Uh, size and skill. This is a six four guy who who skates so well. He's just he's terrific. Um, you know, he, he's still a little softer. People got to remember that 
he's almost a full year younger than Alexis Lafreniere. So when in, when it comes to, I guess, using his body properly and, and, and figuring things out, he still has room to develop. And that's why I know you said Ottawa might have been the perfect situation for him. I see L.A. as a great spot because he's not – he's not coming in having to be the guy where in Ottawa, he, you know, they would have said the typical, oh, he'll be our third line center to start, but, but he's your, your first line center. He's your best center right away. Where in LA, you know, you have Jeff Carter still and Anze Kopitar. So it, it's a little, it's, it's different because he's going to be playing behind those guys. Uh, he, he might, I would think he passes Jeff Carter, but and he's learning from a guy like Kopitar. So to me, that, that really is a perfect situation. And you said a remarkable figure. You, you see the, the people that have already reached out to Quinn Byfield. You got your Magic Johnson, the uh, yeah. L.A. Rams, the Snoop Dogg. It's just like he, he, I, it works out for the NHL, uh, Quinn Byfield going to L.A. And from a marketing standpoint and a development standpoint for, for Quinn himself to, to learn there. Yeah, I... I, I th- I harp on LA because I just don't know if they're going to be good for a while with all those old contracts, whatever, but at least you can get a good start with a guy like Byfield. And of course there's been a lot of talks with the GMs about how the draft lottery may work in the future. Cause how LA was able to jump up there. And of course how the Rangers won the dang thing, but obviously it's a very 2020 thing to happen. Was there a pick? Cause I, I'll say this as, as great as Lucas Raymond may play out for the Red Wings. I was and even we had Stephen Ellis, who you had on your most recent episode earlier today that got released of, of the O show. You had him on from the Hockey News. We both said, Cole Perfetti is going to Detroit. There's no way they're going to pass on him. He's, he's got that skill. He'll fit in with guys like Larkin and Bertuzzi, and he'll become a formidable force there. Falls back to 10. Are you shocked on that, Tate? Did you have him going higher or lower in the first round? Where did you think Perfetti was going to end up? Uh, I, I thought he was going to end up in Detroit. And it, it was weird because Eisman's kind of known to not take what everyone thinks he's going to take. So it was weird that this Perfetti thing leaked, uh, the connection with, you know, Detroit and Saginaw with a lot of people uh, knowing each other in each organization. I was, I was surprised that he wasn't taking, but I also wasn't just because of Eisman's history. And, and following with number 10 it, it is crazy to me. Uh, I thought he would go uh, number eight to Buffalo. Uh, instead, that was a different OHLer, Jack Quinn. Um, I just seen, I, it just seemed like he would fit in Buffalo, and, and and I think he's a better player than Jack Quinn. I think he has a higher ceiling than Jack Quinn. So I was surprised at, at seeing that, but I, I get I get the reasoning, and, and Buffalo thinks they, you know they have a number one center, right? And Jack Eichel. Um, so it, I could see why uh, they didn't take them. They have Dylan Cousins in their uh, their program as well. So I can see why they didn't take a center in Cole Perfetti, but I just thought that that's where he was going to go, and I thought he could be a great fit. And the thing with guys like this, too, and I remember I mentioned with Jordan because we talked about Dylan Cousins, is that's a guy that you can bring in as a center, but you can put him on the wing if you need to. And, then that, and I said it because it's true. That's the Team Canada mentality. Bring all the centers in and put a couple guys in wings, and that's your team. Because then if a guy gets kicked out, you can put him at center and whatnot. But obviously, uh, you had Kevin Adams, who's trying to make some hay there in Buffalo. Great pickup there for Kevin Sheveldayoff getting Perfetti. Now, Anaheim picks Jamie Drysdale. And I and I watched this guy. I watched his highlights. I watched his, his breakdown, his scouting breakdown. And I look at him like, he's 
good. He's he's very offensively gifted, very good skater, but his two-way ability, his defensive ability, even though he's a defenseman, that was my biggest question mark, but do you think that's a good pickup there by the Ducks? Yeah, I think it is a great pickup by the Ducks. They always seem to find great defensemen, and, you know, Cam Fowler, uh, you, you take a look a while back, everyone's like, they have too many defensemen, and now you're like, oh, uh, they traded them all away. So, I think Jamie Drysdale, he, he, his first season in the OHL was very offensive and, and almost all he thought about. Second year, he, he grew as a two-way player. And obviously, you know, this is still a 17-, 18-year-old kid. He's going to have some issues. He's going to have his lapses. Uh, but for the most part, you've seen a lot of improvement. And, you know, I think Craig Button has said it. A lot of people in the scouting community have said he's got the potential to be a number one defenseman in, in the league. It's kind of up to him but the skill sets are there so i like that pick for the the ducks and uh yeah the defensemen in anaheim just i don't know why i just think of anaheim and defensemen maybe it's because of the scott niedemeyer chris pronger uh you know combination but for some reason i i think that was a really really good pick especially getting him at number six because a lot of people think he was uh, better than sanderson well, there was a lot of people that were whispering that he may go to Detroit. And I remember I said this, I was like, I'm like, I know Stevie, then now I'm like, all right, see if there's ever a time for you to go off the board, it's if people are telling you to pick Drysdale. Cause I, I, I like to think the Red Wings have a few good prospects within Grand Rapids. We have a couple good defensemen. Philip Ronick is still a very young defenseman. So I don't need, they say, and they just got most cider. So I don't need, they need to build right-handed defensemen right now. So that's why I'm like, if you get him, okay. But like I said, Stevie Y apparently is never going to listen to anyone or listen. It's almost like he hears like, all right, Detroit's going to pick this guy and this guy or this guy. And Steve's like, well, can't pick those guys, boys. We're going to pick someone else now. So they get Lucas Raymond, who is a very talented hockey player. I'll give him that. Is there a guy, like I said, seven guys in total in the first round, still a very respectable number by any stretch, by any league to show that their development is working, obviously. Is there a guy that you thought, Tate, would have been in the first round? But I ended up falling back into the second and third rounds. Um, not not really. Uh, like you take a look at, uh, I was worried Jacob Perot. Yeah, he went to the Ducks as well. Was about to fall in the second round, and I really saw him as a first round ta- uh, talent. Uh, Ryan O'Rourke is kind of surprising. He went to 39th in uh, in the second round there to Minnesota. Uh, but but you get it. You understand. So he's a big defenseman he plays a defensive game but he moves he's one of those modern day defensive defensemen that still moves the puck well still has some offensive ability um but again there's there's a lot of work he he still has to work on his uh skating and stuff like that so i see why they fall so i can't really say uh, i'm surprised that he fell um but yeah jacob perot was kind of the guy uh as the round went on I, i started getting worried about because he was a first rounder for sure to me. And that, and that's just weird. Cause that if like each team has their own MO of what they want to do. I mean, some will pick the hey, This is the next best guy. Or then there's, you know, Columbus who gets a guy that no one knows who he is. Like it did. Yeah. Yeah. I, Igor Shinnikov. I, I still remember that <laughs> Brian Burke. I think he's a winger. I still, I, it's, that right there was the best part of the draft obviously the you know the slight dramatic of who would go in the top 10 and whatever but that right there because because that's the thing too is as the draft goes on it does i mean it's cool to see who they pick or whatever but if you're just kind of casual you don't have a dog in the fight it's like all right 
let's get through this because, well, the Red Wings themselves made it longer in the, in the third and fourth rounds, but it's like you got to make it interesting. So having a weird pick like that is certainly interesting indeed. Tate, is there a... I didn't, I didn't put this on the list of questions, but this one just kind of popped into my head. Is there a okay. way, a way too early pick for the top guy to come out of the OHL in next year's draft? Uh, I, like, uh, who I think will be the top guy coming out of the OHL. Yeah. Just, just the out of the blue, yeah. like best name. That's not named Shane, Wright Because he still has to wait two more years. <laughs> yeah. So it, it would be Brant Clark. He's, uh, he's, you want to talk about offensive defenseman. This is, this is a guy that's, that's the only thing that's on his mind. Carlson, like I would say he, he's got the skill. He, he was playing under Warren Reichel. Um, when we talk about old ducks jerseys earlier, there's, there's a guy that played in one. Um, Warren Reichel was not a good coach in Barry and he, he suppressed his kids offensive skills. Um, and Warren Reichel was fired and Grant Clark all of a sudden got power play time, and, and you've seen this guy's ability shine. And I, I've seen some people say he has potential to be first overall. Not sure if that's going to happen. I, I honestly really don't know the other prospects yet. It's not something I've looked into other than the, uh, the OHL guys. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say he, he's for sure, I'm going to say that, for sure going to be the uh, highest draft OHL player next year. The only other competition is a guy like Mason McTavish, who's just this big power forward uh, goal scorer, which similar to Will Cooley, who we saw went to in the uh, the second round. So right. it'll be a mystery when it, the second guy will be a mystery. But uh, Brand Clark, I'm saying, is a for sure to go as the highest OHL player. Jeez, I'm looking at I'm looking at stats right now. Thank you to Elite Prospects. I, I don't know I don't know why people don't reference them more often. Everyone's like, oh, hockey DB, hockey DB. Come on, Elite Prospects, because where else would you find out that a guy by the name of Brant Clark put up a grand total of 113 points as a defenseman? It's ridiculous. I mean, it, yeah. yes, it's U16 GTHL. And it seems like Don Mills Flyers just put out like prospects up the wazoo, hence Shane Wright. But I'm just like, that's a lot of points, Tate. I mean, geesh. That's a, that's a lot of points for a defenseman. Like I said, this guy wasn't. Uh, so before Warren Reichel was hired in the preseason, he was leading the, uh, the preseason scoring as a defenseman. Then Warren Reichel came in. He, then he's not playing on the power play. Uh, and I would say the first 20 games, and then he was almost a point per game after that um, as a rookie defenseman. So I, I don't know how many points he's going to put up uh, this year as a, as a defenseman. Uh, my co-host Cody said it's a ridiculous to think that uh, if he comes back, because he'll probably he'll probably play another year in the OHL. If he if he comes back, could he put up 100 points? Be the first. Uh, defenseman in the OHL to put up a hundred points since Ryan Ellis. And I, uh, I think he has the skill to do it. I don't, I don't know if that's a, the hottest take, but yeah, this, this kid is very skilled. I honestly wonder because it is, it's tough because when I was doing my writing for the CHL a couple of years back, I see these guys that are putting up points in, in spades uh, from the blue line. I'm just like, man, they just don't get enough credit from, you know, from the back end. Cause I mean, you see with a lot of teams, they give the puck up. I mean, they may get that secondary assist, but it's rare they get the amount of goal production. And maybe if, you know, if Brandt gets drafted by a team that doesn't need him yet because 
I'd like to think that, you know, a few of the guys that were drafted, I don't know about, I mean, maybe we'll see Marco Rossi next year up with the Minnesota Wild and maybe Cole Perfetti, who knows, but I'd like to think that, you know, they'll take time with development. So maybe Brant Clark plays a year or two in the OHL after he gets drafted because especially a defenseman, you don't want to, you know, scare the kid to death and push him into the league right away because next thing you know, he's not ready. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, well, this guy's not good at all because he comes out of the, you know, the OHL at 18. And all of a sudden you realized, man, maybe he wasn't ready yet because there is quite the jump despite, you know, guys like Connor McDavid making it look flawless. And of course, Sidney Crosby coming out of the queue. There's only a select few guys that can come out at 18 and be producing right away. And especially it's harder as a defenseman. There's only been a select few guys that I can think of that were drafted in the top 10 that went right into the NHL and made an impact. I, I don't think Aaron Eckblad made that same kind of an impact when he was drafted first overall. I could be wrong though on that. Maybe that's just me in the minority. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would disagree with you on that one, but uh, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, it, it's tough. Even Rasmus Dahlin, um, you know, he actually had a pretty good rookie season and then he's seen him in his sophomore year and he struggled, but yeah, look at, uh, you know, Jack Hughes. He, he obviously struggled to make that jump and he was the first overall pick last year. He's the perfect, like Brant Clark is the perfect guy to give him that extra year because I, like I said, he's so offensive that he can take a year and, and think about playing more defensively. Uh, I, I was telling Cody again on our podcast, I don't think your draft year is the year that you do that. You try to, you know, learn defensively or show your defensive game because you want to show scouts your, your main skill. This, this is what I'm great at. This is why I'm the best defenseman to take because of this skill. And you could, you know, work with me on the defense later. I think you really want to showcase that skill. So, uh, yeah, in the draft year, put up as many points as you can. The, the plus one year coming back to the O, maybe work on that uh, defensive game a bit. Yeah, because that's the nice part is that you can adjust, you can learn your skills in the OHL and then adjust them to the NHL speed. Where you're trying to learn how to play defense in the NHL, well, it may be too late for that. But I mean, it's it's interesting to see how these guys will shape up this coming season, and that is of course saying when we have an upcoming season. We've seen it, Tate, with the QMJHL starting up here, and that league is already experiencing the wrath of COVID nineteen. The WHL is still kind of, they've had a plan of when they want to come back. The only league we have not heard yet is from the OHL. And that, because I talked about it a couple weeks ago, has all been all sorts of very odd and everyone's trying to figure out what's going to happen with the American teams. How are they going to play? Are they going to move into Canada? Are they just going to play amongst themselves? And then Rick West had had a conversation with Lisa McLeod, the Minister of Sport in Ontario. And it seemed to just set everyone ablaze, Tate, because uh, throughout the the conversation, which Rick West said, I remember we reported on the show, they were talking about how there could not be hitting, that there could not be fighting. There, I mean, like I said, the American teams have to stay in America or move into Canada entirely. What from what did you get from that interview between West Head and McLeod? Like, was there anything positive that came out of that? No, it was, it was honestly a disappointment. I remember messaging my co-host right away and saying, I, uh, we better figure out what we're going to do for episodes because they're not going to play until, until they're allowed to at least hit. Fighting, I can move past fighting. You know, I am someone that enjoys fights in hockey. 
and, and but at the same time, I can move past no fighting, no hitting, uh, especially players that are trying to develop for the NHL. Uh, and you have scouts whose, whose jobs are on the line uh, to pick these players, the right players for their teams. You got to have hitting. You, know, you can't have a, a league like the OHL have no hitting. Um, it was just disappointing. And, and to me, the OHL did actually release dates. They said that uh, they're aiming for de- December 1st. Uh, camps were supposed to start mid-November. Um, and they had, you know, playoff dates. Everything was basically set. To me, it just showed that they, they didn't even talk to Health Canada or, or figure out what they needed to do to get, get ready for the season, which I say dates if, if this information is coming out and, and obviously they didn't discuss it because if that was the case, they would not have put out dates. Uh, they had a meeting today though. Uh, so that, I don't know if that's positive or not, but it's looking like, you know, mid January, uh, training camps are going to start. Rick Westhead tweeted that yesterday. Um, and then uh, the 28th was also rumored for a uh, start date. So it's all kind of up in the air. No official postponement yet by the OHL, but I'm sure it's coming down the uh, the pipeline. Yeah, I, I, I just hope it happens soon because, I mean, a, I, mean I, I love watching junior hockey. I love following it. I like to see, you know, the next the rising stars come up through because there are there's so many great, talented players, not just in the OHL, the entire CHL in general. So, and of course, I mean, yes, it's great to see the QMJHL starting, but we're seeing how that's going to be affected. And I think that's what's going to happen, not just with the OHL, the WHL, even the NHL, is that with having it be open environment, I mean, we see it in the NFL and Major League Baseball, games are going to be postponed, games are going to have to be canceled because that's just the environment and the, the society we live in nowadays. That's the new normal, as everyone is saying. But I mean... I like your point about, you know, you need to have hitting because I'll be honest with you. If there's no hitting in hockey, I can make a comeback as a player because if there's no hitting, I can dangle around everybody. <laughs> Pavel Barber would be yeah. a hundred point guy if there's no hitting in hockey. Let me tell you. But <laughs> I just, I, you got to be able to play through that. And I, I, I just want, I, first time I saw that when I talked about it here on the show, I was just like befuddled because I'm like, how can, can, and I guess that's a good question for you here, Tate. Can, the Ontario government tell the league not to play. Can they like try to shut, I don't say shut the league down, but shut down games because they have that power. Can the provincial governor government do that in Ontario? Yeah. If they're, if they're not following the, uh, the health and safety rules, they can shut it down. There's, there's some leagues going on, uh, right now, uh, you know, low tier junior leagues, uh, that don't have hitting and, you know, they're following the rules, the, that they're given right now. Uh, so if you don't follow those rules, you, you will get shut down. There's a bit of a underground triple a league going on right now. And the GTHL, they keep moving uh, to different regions because uh, different areas have different health rules. Uh, so whatever region is the least strict, they'll move there. And, and parents are paying, you know, a ridiculous amount of money to get these kids like two games a week for 10 weeks. And, Jeez. but again, no hitting. So, even as a OHL scout, you're not, you're not really, we're not seeing these players in the right way because like you said, you might see a player just light it up, make it look so easy, you know, have sick hands. Uh, but if he has some pressure on him, he, he can't do those things. 
it's, yeah. it's a totally different game, and he can come into the league next year and you know possibly get hurt. It could be dangerous. So, yeah, you you have to have hitting. And and when you talk about the Q and what NFL and MLB are doing in these open environments, I can't see it working in junior hockey because they're rescheduling the games. You you really only have the weekends. I think these these kids in the OHL. I think they're given like three, they have to be uh, like available for school for three days a week. I think it's something along the, there's some type of rule where they have to be given certain days and days off. Right. Yeah. Cause that, that is, I know that's an important thing. Obviously there's a couple guys, you know, you have your overagers that aren't in high school anymore. Yeah. So that there's that, but obviously, you know, these 16, 17 year old kids, they, they kind of have to be in school. It's a kind of an important deal up there. I mean, it's an important deal everywhere to get at least a secondary education. So I get where that comes from there. And I know there's sometimes there's a Wednesday night game, but like it's just against a divisional opponent. It's not like they're traveling from Windsor to go play up in, you know, the 67s. Like they don't do that. They're playing like Windsor's going to travel maybe around to Sarnia on a Wednesday night, maybe. But yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting deal. So, but so they set the dates. Do you think those are set in stone? Do you think something could come up that'll change that? Or do you think that the OHL is like, we're going to do this. It's going to happen. Come hell or high water. We're going to have a season and this is what it's going to be. Uh, I think they will have a season, but I, I don't think they're playing in December at all. Even December 28th, this rumor date, uh, someone pointed out on Twitter, everyone would just be getting back from Christmas you got to give it at least two weeks to see who has, you know, COVID or, or you know, do some tests then because everyone's going to see their families. You know, we, we tell people not to see people, but they do, you know, people are gonna, that's just, this is how humans work. They, they need their socialized or interactions. Someone's going to do it and, and it can, you know, affect the whole team. So I don't think the 28th is a good idea. Uh, Mid-January, it looks like the date that, that they're going to start, um, if if they do start then. I, I even suggested maybe doing a bubble tournament three-week round robin. If it really gets down to the wire, get these kids some type of games. I like Maybe there's something you could do, but I, I don't know. Well, it's funny because when I was talking with Jordan, they we were discussing how one of the writers we have at the Hockey Writers wrote a piece how why Buffalo could be a if they're if the NHL ever wanted to look at doing hubs for the divisions or whatever, Buffalo would be great because there's many rinks in a very close proximity to the NHL rink and the hotel and whatnot. I don't know if they'd be yeah. able. I don't think they'd want to pull that off in if they'd ever want to do that in well in toronto because it's right there because they did it i don't know if the ohl would ever think about doing that but i mean obviously there are options for something like that right yeah there, there'll be options i think for for a bubble obviously lots of rinks in toronto but yeah you got the practice rink in buffalo the nhl rink they're all connected with the hotel and everything there so that would be a great spot but they have options and even with you know kids aren't in school right now. So you could, you know, uh, rent a university campus or something and put these, uh, these kids in there. And I, I think they, they would do well in the bubble. Uh, younger people, they, they don't have wives and kids and, uh, a lot of them play video games. Let's be honest for most of their time. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I, I think they would be able to mentally to get through the bubble a little easier, uh, than, than some NHL players had it. But, 
Yeah, it's it's a tough situation, and I want to give you an answer. And I, I swear on my podcast, every week we're just like we wish we had some answers, but it, you just don't. You, everything's changing constantly, so it makes it so difficult. Heavy prediction here, Tate. I'm putting you on the spot here. What starts first, the NHL or the OHL? Oh, that's a good question. I, uh, I'm i going to say they, they start at the same time. I'm thinking the NHL is going to start in February as well. Yeah, that, that it's just, and that's when, I'm the, when the owners came out and said, there's no definitive time. We're shooting for January 1st, but it probably won't happen because right down, down here in the States, you know, we have the – the Big Ten Hockey Conference is supposed to start next month, Atlantic Hockey, and then WCHA. There's reports that they're going to start after Thanksgiving, and then there's the NCHC is going to start in a bubble in December, and then they're going to play the rest of their games at their home rinks, and it's just a whole kit and caboodle and a half because every conference is allowed to do their own thing. That's the one problem with the NCAA is that they didn't think this through all the way. They just said, like, you know what? You all do what you want to do, and I guess, and, and, and I guess that's a good way to turn this back to the OHL here, Tate. Would you have liked to have seen the CHL, the governing body of these three leagues, come out and say, all right, this is when we're going to have you all play? Or is it because that each province has different health regulations that they allowed the three leagues to determine when they wanted to come back on their own terms? Yeah, I think it was best that they each come up with their own terms because you talked about the Quebec League. The Maritime teams are still playing. Right. You know, they, they have very few cases. I think they have like five cases and, and it's something you can get around. They have their own little bubble, the islands and all that. So, so it's a very different situation for them. And then even out West, there's not as many cases to say here in Ontario. So uh, it does make sense, but at the same time, and I don't know this, I, I would think the CHL has some input or, you know, have, created some type of team or whatever resources each league needs to help, you know, prepare them for their return to play. Yeah. I, I just, I would like to see it come around. I mean, then again, I just, I just want hockey back in my life. Like I, I I'm sufficing right now with football and college football. Cause Michigan just came back. Big 10 football came back. So I'm able to slowly like, kind of like, okay, I can hold off on Saturdays for now, but eventually I'm going to go nuts. I'm just going to go crazy here, and I'm just like, yeah. I, I won't know what to do with myself. So hopefully soon. I mean, the USHL is going to come back apparently at the end of next month, and I'm, once again, it's like, well, this is how it's going to be. You're gonna, it, it's gonna, everyone's going to have to take a chance to try to play. I mean, whether or not they finish the year, whether or not, shoot, there's people talking about here in Michigan of having a second shutdown. I'm like, well, wouldn't that be great? Because I just love sitting in my apartment for 12 hours or 20 <laughs> hours a day. I don't know about you, Tate, but uh, I don't mind going out and about. I mean, social distancing and mask wearing, including. And we just we need to get back to some normal here. We need some we need some hockey, but we need to do it. Yeah. That is one thing, though. I mean, do you? Because as much as I want to go to games, because I, I work here in downtown Grand Rapids now, I walk by Van Andel where the Griffins play every day. I look at it like, man, it'd be great to have games back. But even if the AHL or even when the AHL comes back, I would not be surprised if I didn't go to a game next season. And I've accepted that fact. That's that's just, I guess, the long and the short of it. And I guess even for you, you know, down there in Windsor, it may be the same thing with the OHL. Yeah, I, I mean, if they give me a media pass and, and I'm one of 10 people in a 6,000, 6,500-seat 6, arena, I'll probably make my way there, not going to lie. It, it's, it's such a tough thing because uh, it, we talk, 
you start you start weighing the mental health effects, and it sounds. I know it sounds ridiculous. People are like, it's it's hockey. Why do you care? And and, and to me, I just want something to look forward to during the week. You know, that sounds sad. <laughs> well, but wait, that's what well, that's what we're doing here. We're, it's every Monday night. We're doing this so we can keep our sanity. Believe it or not. Yeah, exactly. And it it does affect you. You just you know, hockey has been a part of my life. And I'm, I know it's been a part of your life. It's just something you've always had. It's your escape away from everything. And and you want it to come back. But you do realize you want to keep things safe. But, yeah, if, if they gave me a media pass and I was one of few people in the arena, I would I would go. Um, now, I'm not going to a Miami Dolphins game, though. No, oh, gosh. That, that's been the one thing with the <laughs> NFL. Because we have the Lions here in Detroit. So, and it's and they don't have anyone in the stands. They have all the dumb cutouts or whatever. But like, I see games in like Florida and like eight and I watch college football and I just see the sec. And it's just like, we're down here at Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And we got 75% or like, it's like 50% capacity. I'm like, what are you doing? Like you, I mean, I get it. Alabama, like there's only like three cities in Alabama that people live in apparently, but still my goodness. I'm like, you're not helping. (laughs) But it's no, you're not. You're not. You know what, though? People not seeing the Detroit Lions is probably uh, a good thing. You know, they're on a two game win streak. Come on, Tate. They, they uh, that's true. You know what? I seen the felt a Atlanta. <laughs> I think they have their own problems to. Uh, I, I don't know. That, I don't know. Do you count that? I don't know. I'm not like I'm not a huge football fan, but what I can see is I'm not sure if you can count that win. I. You know what? I will as a as someone who cheers for the Lions because since Tom Brady left New England, I'm like I will be okay with a win. I told the wife too. I'm like, who's like, <laughs> do the Lions have a chance? And I'm like, if they if they are losing in the fourth quarter, they have a chance to win. <laughs> and by God, they did it. <laughs> the NFL it's a it's a wonderful place where the NFC East champion could win six games, and the Lions are on a two game win streak. They're on a win streak. That is a word I use lightly with them. We've been chatting with Tate Harris, having a blast once again with him. Be sure to follow him at Tate Harris nine on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to follow the O show at podcast OHL on Twitter. You can catch them. They also have the link tree link in their Twitter account. Go on there. Listen, wherever you get your favorite podcast, they always put out great stuff. Even if there's no hockey going on Tate, I know if you're just like me, we're going to be, we're going to plug through this and we're going to keep going until madness ensues maybe we'll maybe we'll have you on and maybe we'll make you watch some college hockey with us so you maybe talk about that be like hey cole caulfield got drafted by an ohl team we can talk about him right we'll we'll give you guys yeah, some- yeah we, we talked about cole uh, uh, a couple times hoping he would come over but uh, i think he definitely made the right choice so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna probably start watching some college hockey i've been dabbling on the uh the hockey tv and just uh, like I think the Albertan uh, Junior Hockey League is going on, so yep. I'm I'm finding some stuff. Yeah, it's all, there's always some stuff to talk about. Well, I, I, a quick question here: You saw the WHL release about how they may not let players that are going to come back just to play for time for if the WHL starts before the NHL, they're not going to let the guys that are going to go to the NHL play. If I'm not mistaken, that's kind of what it said, right? The WHL kind of uh, put along no, those lines. Uh, from my understanding, the statement is allowing players to temporarily play in other junior leagues if they want. So you oh. know, a player could go play in the USHL or the uh, the Alberta Junior Hockey League or the BCHL. Um, 
they can play in one of those different leagues. And, and some people are mad at that because you're taking, you know, these these all-star players. Obviously, yeah. the WHL is, is a different league than, you know, the uh, BCHL. So taking spots from guys and, and, and it's just, it, it makes it kind of a mess. But yeah, the Chicago Steel put out a statement saying they wouldn't uh, take any. any I was, I was going to say that. I was like, because I remember that. I'm just like, and the Chicago Steel are, is a really good USHL program. But I'm like, well, I mean, like, okay. I mean, was, that, was there any interest to send any? Because here's the thing too. Obviously, there are guys that are playing, you know, that are Americans that play in the WHL. But I'm like, because no one's going to come from Canada because they can't right now. But I, who was it? Was it well, Steve? actually, uh, the Chicago Steel, the potential first overall pick in the OHL draft this year, uh, they signed him. Uh, Van Teeley is his name. Okay. Uh, he went over there to play with his, his, his brother. So, hmm. uh, so they They've definitely taken some some players. They're kind of like the London Knights of the USHL, I guess. So. I would concur that because I watched them play the Lumberjacks, and I'm like, well, this may be a long night. <laughs> but then again, hey, the Lumberjacks, get, they do well with the Russian players, it seems like. Oh, my goodness. Well, shoot, we had Sveshnikov for a few games. We had Igor Afanasyev, who was drafted by Nashville. Yeah. And, I mean, they got a lot of, they got a lot, of, and they drafted a lot of great players, too. They're really good at bringing in the the European talent. I'll give you that, Tate. Uh, they, yeah. Their staff's done a really good job with that. So it'll be interesting because, like I said, I know Scott Bradford really well and Rachel Anderson, who we've had before. She's big on the Lumberjacks. So they're still hockey, just, you know, not not the big not the big time, not the OHL, not the NHL yet, but there will still be hockey to be played. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if Quentin Byfield went down to the OJHL, but you know what? Hey, that'd be, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, if I was him, you know, I would just go to Europe or, like, get a paycheck, buddy. Like, why are you doing this to those kids? Quentin Byfield, 212 points here in his one year with the OJHL, with his one month. Playing games, yeah. I'd say I don't even know who the dominant team is. The OJ, I've been, I have not followed the OJ in so long. I used to when I was coming up to the ranks to see who was out there, but I'm like, I don't even know who the top team is there in the OJ anymore. Is it the Zilla junior Canadians or is there, is there another team in that league? That's a superpower. Yeah, there's junior Canadians. I think the Oakville Rangers. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not too familiar with, uh, what the top team is. There's some uh, actually Caledonia, I think is, uh, they've been pulling some good players. I think that's the league they're in. There's so many junior leagues over here, so it's, it's well. Crazy. I, I lived right there in Lucknow, and we had within within an hour we had the Owen Sound Attack, Kitchener, and Sarnia was two hours away. But then we had those. We had the two major junior leagues. We had um, I don't know if Kitchener had an OJ. There was like two OJ teams nearby. We had the Listowel Cyclones, which is for all of you Letterkenny fans out there. That's the town it's based on. Uh, in, in the Goge, and then we had, I think, like four junior C teams within a half hour of each other. So there was like 10 teams, and then where there was like a senior A team right here. I'm like, hey, we exist too. No one cared about us. <laughs> no one cared about senior A <laughs> hockey where we were at. We've been talking with Tate Harris. Tate, thank you once again, man. We'll chat soon, hopefully about some OHL hockey, but if not, we'll just chat. We'll just have a blast. You know, we'll just have a couple of conversations. We'll talk about people that we've met before. I don't know. We'll find time to kill, that's for sure. Yeah. Hey, when the borders open up and there's hockey, maybe I'll make a trip up to uh, Grand Rapids and see the Griffins or the uh, Lumberjacks or something. Watch some good old minor league hockey, man. That is what it's all about. Tate, we will definitely (laughs) talk to you again, man. Have a good rest of your evening, and uh, we'll have a good one. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Cantal.
And once again, that was Tate Harris. Always a fun guy to chat with whenever we talk to him. And he always a great, great follow on Twitter as well. Be sure to follow him and Cody, the co the other co-host on the O show. Only a few minutes left here on this Monday edition, Monday, October 26th. And unfortunately I have to end it with some bad news. If you guys are all on the Twitter right now, the, uh, this, this one's a, well, it's, uh, all right, here we go. We can get through this time. So for those that don't know, for all of you fans that are, you know, stateside based, the Edmonton Oilers, you know, obviously been around for a long time and we always, we harp on them a little bit on this show, but they have had a guy that's been a part of that team for so long. He's been an equipment manager, been one of the, arguably the biggest Oilers fan in the history of Oilers fans, Joey Moss. He passes away earlier today. It was while we were in the conversation with Tate Harris, so I didn't want to interrupt that, but he did pass away. I didn't see his age on here. Um, oh, pardon me. He was 57 that he passed away, and he was also a big Edmonton Eskimos fan for all of you CFL, your Canadian football fans out there. And and it, it's it that's a tough one because I, I I like to look on the and that's why people think I just stare at my laptop during interviews I don't I try to look for stuff to talk about I look at my notes as well and I was just scrolling through Twitter and I saw that and you know I've and getting to talk to remember we talked with Jack Michaels on our first live episode I talked to him off air a little bit and we were talking about because he moved to Edmonton never been there I mean he'd been there before but he never lived there. And he talked about, we're talking like, what's the team like? Whatever, like, oh, everyone's so great. And I remember we talked off air a little bit about Joey Moss, and he talked about how great of a person he was, and he wrote a great piece on there as well. And World Hockey Report, Cody Jansen just tweeted out, Joey Moss absolutely belting out the Canadian National Anthem during the 06 final. And I, it's, it's one of my favorite videos because I get really hyped whenever that um, – it was game three of the video I always, I saved the audio for because it it's so loud because how loud Rexall Place was and the emotion going in that game because it was their first, first of all, that was their first playoff run. And I believe it was 2003 was their last one. 2003 or 2002. It was their first time in the finals since they won it in 1990. And there's Joey Moss right behind the bench, the old Rexall Place. Remember, there was the tunnel right down center ice. He was right there, first seat, right next to the tunnel to talk to the guys, just belting it out, and he he was a guy that no matter how bad the team was, no matter how good the team was, he was always in the locker room hanging out with the guys, and you know, from videos I've seen with him, from interviews, from people talking about him, he is an amazing person, and it's someone that I like just, I enjoyed like hearing about, because there was not a person that said a bad thing about Joey Moss. He was in, when Wayne Gretzky, when he got traded, you know, Joey was very emotional about it, but Wayne came back to Edmonton to hang, to, you know, be with Joey Moss and hang out with him. And because, I mean, just being a classic Wayne Gretzky was, oh, that's a tough one. That's a, such a great episode today of the Keel Show, too. And unfortunately, I mean, it's, man, I, I've condolences to his family. And, and I, Ken Reed was one of my favorite ones. There's so many great stories. Um, I, because there's so many, I'm just looking through and, there's not a single person saying anything bad about it. Like, you know, Joe Bowen saying, you know, what is a fixture in Edmonton? No one wore that crest prouder than Joey Moss. And there was one by Kenny Reed. Yep. Right. I found it right here. Kenny Reed, big hugs to all who knew Joey Moss. Cause obviously, unfortunately, we not, not all of us had a chance to meet him, but he would have been someone. And Jack Michaels tweeted this out. 
or 20 minutes ago saying when I came, when he said, quote, when I came to live in Edmonton, one of the first things I learned was how much of an impact his career had on the history of the Oilers, the Eskimos and the city itself. He, he was truly as his was a truly a life well lived. I'll miss you, pal. End quote. Oh, that is, that's a tough one. That's he was, cause he was such a, like you'd see the videos of him and see like him hanging around the guys. Like I was like, Hey Joey, how's it going? Like, like even those bad Oilers teams, Joey Moss was there. Even some of the bad Eskimos teams, Joey Moss was there. So unfortunately, yes, I know. I am sure everyone did not like the fact that we had to end this one on a whimper, but unfortunately, I mean, like I said, condolences to Joey Moss, age 57, passing away earlier today. That is it, folks, for this one, this episode of the Cule Show. Once again, we're gonna I'm gonna make sure I reminded myself to make sure I put the links to not just the O show with Tate Harris, but also Jordan DeShane's link for the hockey writers. I'm not going to give Alex anything because he's usually supposed to be here. So I'm not going to give him a light of day. But once again, thank you all for watching. Coming up next here, Talking Myers at the Rando. He'll be talking some Southern Professional Hockey League free agents and the NFL as well. Maybe a little bit about the World Series. Who knows? He'll be talking about it here in just a couple minutes here on 12 Ounce Sports. Thank you all once again. Be sure to follow us at The Cula Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We post stuff everywhere. The episode will be up hopefully tomorrow morning. And, oh, boy, we're lagging. Oh, we're not lagging. I saw my little thing go red. I'm like, that's not good. At least it took it this long to start frizzing out, right? Unless some people are probably watching. You guys are just like, it frizzed out 20 minutes ago. I don't know. I just keep going. I keep talking. Thank you all once again. We'll see you next week, hopefully, with Alex. The door is opening. The dog's starting to walk in. It looks like, oh, boy. Oh, it's a puppy. She's coming in. Oh, you know what? We can do this. She... Wixie can come and say hi. It's the last thing before we go. I didn't start the... She, she's been scratching the door for the past half hour. Oh, baby girl. Wixie. Oh, here. I'll turn you around. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're caught. She's caught. You got her? Okay. Hi, Wixie, baby. Oh, hi. You miss me. Hi. Oh, oh, it's a good way to end the show. You got Corgi butt. Look at Corgi butt. It's Corgi butt. It's funny to look at on the camera. All right, we'll see you all next time as Wixie climbs over me. Thank you all once again for watching this week's episode of The Kilo Show. Hey, look, the wife's here. Oh, she's trying to grab the dog. Ah, Kelly Arms coming in hot. So, yeah, she, here, it's Kelly. Look, hey, everyone, it's Kelly. Uh, Joey Moss died. I know, I know. It, it was during while I was talking to Tate. It stunk, but I wish I, that would have been a cool guy to meet. Anyways, that is it for this episode of The Kilo Show. I'm ending it now before I... Go on some random other tangent. Thank you all once again. At The Kula Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Be sure to follow at Podcast OHL for the O Show. There's a dog on my table. We have, Make sure to follow Jordan DeShane, JordanDeShane91 on Twitter. Thank you all once again. We'll see you all next time. Goodbye.